Oh, and it's good to be back. Welcome to episode 23 of the Film 89 podcast and our first episode of 2019. I'm Sky and I'm the editor of Film89.co.uk and with me tonight to my left is... Steve Amos. Hello everybody. Steve, welcome back mate. Um, it's been... A long time. Yeah. Cleopatra. The Cleopatra episode. Yeah, not that long ago. Episode 17. And to my right is my uh, fellow Film 89 brother. Hello, my friends. (laughs) (laughs) It's me, Neil Gaskin, back again. (laughs) And joining us all the way from Melbourne, Australia, via Skype, it's another one of the Film 89 team. I think it's the first episode where we've ever had four. It's Mr. Hayden Spurrell. Hayden, how are you doing, mate? Good mate, it's good to um, finally join Neil and Steve for a podcast. It um, is, yeah. It wasn't that long ago that I was on this show either, so this is this is nice. Make no, it a regular right. thing. It was the um, the twenty five year uh, anniversary Jurassic Park episode that you, me, and Richie did. Yeah. So Hayden, you know it's coming. Um, I've got to ask, uh, what time is it there in Melbourne? In fact, what day of the week is it? Because it's Saturday night here. Sunday morning, uh, eight thirty. Just gone eight thirty. Which month are we in now, Hayden? Cause in the morning. Yeah, which month is yeah, it? Yeah, which month is it there? <laughs> it's uh it's Feb. Twenty twenty one? Feb yeah. Who's the, who's the president now? <laughs> so what is the date and the time there at the moment, Hayden, in the future? Uh it's uh the tenth of Feb, uh but it's twenty twenty nine. Oh right, do you, know, okay. so, do you know sometimes when you walk along a beach, do you just see like a Statue of Liberty off in the distance and just ruefully <laughs> smash the stand? And just... Right, Hayden, Right, a friend of mine, he's 30 years old. He travels to Australia. How old is he when he gets there? <laughs> he's three years younger. What? Oh, yeah, he's three years younger. It's like, um, in, it's like interstellar. It's just mind-bending. But he gets older during the trip. Have you run out of petrol yet? <laughs> Are you fighting each other in a post-apocalyptic desert <laughs> over um, minimal resources? <laughs> what what are tonight's lottery numbers? <laughs> 13, um, 25. Oh, sorry, um, Aiden. You, you did say the first time you were on, you know, this joke is going to have legs, so you brought it on yourself. So anyway, um, enough, of, enough of that um, tomfoolery. In tonight's episode, we're going to be reviewing uh, the new film, Alita Battle Angel, from producer James Cameron and director Robert Rodriguez. We're going to be discussing our favourite animated films and answering some of your listener questions. So it's back to the sort of um, new film format, as opposed to the sort of um, glut of retrospectives we've been uh, kicking out of late. But guys, uh, before we start, uh, Steve, what have you been watching of late? Not a lot, unfortunately. Um, but there's one film I know we've all um, watched, which I have to say was utterly bonkers, and we all enjoyed it. Was Netflix's Polar? Polar, yeah, yeah, I loved it. I, I, I saw that last week, and um, if anybody wants to disengage their brain completely, sit back and have a laugh. Yeah, guys and girls, please read uh, Neil's review on Film Eighty Nine. He, he um, sums up perfectly. Yeah, it. You know, we don't always agree on films, but I think that one, by some miracle, bearing in mind how batshit crazy it is we all kind of um we're all, all on the same sort of page it's good to, it's good to see mads kicking ass i, thought. I think even the late, the late jim cartle who can be a curmudgeonly or who could be um, he, he spoke to me through a medium yeah he, he, told, he told me he enjoyed it he did yeah he, 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 even he enjoyed it so yeah yeah i, I definitely recommend polar anything else steve I haven't been to the cinema for a while, still, unfortunately. So it's nothing new I am seeing. Because obviously, it's been, it's been a long time since you've been on filming. Yeah, you know, I um... saw a classic on Monday. I saw uh, Hiroshima Monomo. Ah. Which is uh, from, was it, 59, I think it is. But I haven't been able to see much recently. I've yeah. got a family. 
unfortunately, mm. and they get in the way of Haven't everything. Haven't we all made don't they just? Stupid kids. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Wives and kids and Wives jobs and, kids, and cats oh, and dogs. And <laughs> Neil, what about you? What uh, what have you? What would your not recommendations same, be? Not just saying, really. I've been doing a lot of sort of Netflixing, really. I've been more sort of binging. I've been um, Ted Bundy tapes. Quite enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, I did watch Rack Clansman on DVD the other day, and that was very good. Uh, Hayden, what about you? Um, yeah, not a lot either. I did see A Star Is Born uh, a few days ago, which I'll probably mention briefly later on in the episode. But yeah, really worth the watch. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. Yeah, I did. I uh, I did the uh, the boyfriend thing and took uh, took the, my young lady to uh, watch it. Well, I want. I actually wanted to go and see it uh, with my uh, lady wife, and she ended up going with the girls. She uh, she ditched me. <laughs> And I was like, well, you know, I, I wanted to write you know, a piece for the site. And she was like, yeah, well, tough. I'm going with the girls. There you go. I was the other way with me. She was supposed to be going with the girls. And then uh, they pulled out. And then I, I stepped in with the gentleman. And I, I think I enjoyed it and she didn't. So, ah, right, right. <laughs> so it worked out well for me. Yeah. And that's all that counts. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, apart from uh, Polar, which I also thoroughly enjoyed, I have um, started watching the, the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix. But as, as you guys know, because I haven't stopped banging on about it, I've uh, completely blitzed and, and finally got through Black Mirror on Netflix, which i got to say, hands down, is, is easily slipped into my top 10 favourite TV shows of all time. I just think it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, I definitely missed a trick there by not watching it when it started, but I have had the benefit of being able to watch it from, you know, season one onwards right through to the recent um, sort of interactive film, Bandersnatch, which uh, Leighton Winstone has, has written a piece about for the site. Um, I think it was actually that piece that actually got me thinking, well, you know, I've got to watch uh, Black Mirror, got to give it a go. And apart from, I think there was one episode I wasn't too keen on, but even that, you know, wasn't bad, but the rest of them, just a consistent quality. And yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, it's, it's sort of varying, varying degrees of um, enjoyment there. But like you say, it's very rare that I've watched one and thought that was a waste of my life, or, you know, or yeah. like one hour back in my life or whatever, you know. I've never seen anything like this. Who am I? She's the last of her kind. So I'm 300 years old. A leader. You are. You have the most advanced weapon ever. And this world needs you. She's given the people hope. Destroyed her. You made the biggest mistake of your life. And what's that? Underestimating who I am. Alita Battle Angel, February 14th. So, uh, this week's uh, main review. A, a film which is, is based on the nine-volume Japanese manga. Now, Steve, am I pronouncing this right? Gun. G-U-N-N-M. You said you've read the uh, the manga. I have. Did you pronounce yeah. it right? I, I don't know. In my head, it might sound completely yeah. different. It often does when I'm reading. <laughs> yeah, so the original Japanese manga was written and illustrated by Yukito Kashiro. It ran from 1990 to 1995. It was then translated and released in North America under the title Battle Angel Alita, at which point I believe uh, it, it fell to the attention of one James Cameron, who I think has wanted to um, make an adaptation of uh, Battle Angel Alita for probably about 20 years. In fact, probably before Titanic, I think he was first mentioned in the fact that he wanted to do it. Uh, but I don't think the technology was there at the time. Then that American translation was followed then by the 19-volume sequel series Battle Angel Alita Last Order, which ran from 2000 to 2014. And then later by Gun Mars Chronicles, which began in 2014 and is still running. Uh, it was made on a budget of $200 million. And as I said, you know, James Cameron wanted to make the film for over two decades. Now, obviously, he's making Avatars 2, 3, 4 and 5. Um, I think that's obviously robbed us of a lot of other films that I think Cameron would have um, been the ideal person to direct. Uh, you know, whatever you think of that, I think that's a conversation for another time. But I'm pretty sure Avatar's going to come up today, isn't it, in conversation? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, and now it's fallen to director Robert Rodriguez to bring it to the big screen. I think we'll start with Steve. What were your uh, initial thoughts going in, obviously based on the fact that you've actually read the original manga? Well, I've only read volume one, so I haven't read them all. Um, the only reason I read that is because it was free on Amazon Prime. Oh, you uh, scrounger. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is free on media. <laughs> um, and I have to say, that's the first manga I've ever read. And I was really into it. Mm. It was it was actually quite exciting. To describe it as visual, is, uh, obviously it is, but it's all motion as well. Yeah. You know I mean, as I was thinking about it later, I could actually see the action sequences. You said this is the first manga you've read, but what is your experience with anime, with um, Japanese animation? Oh, I, I've you know I've seen um, a lot of the classics, you know the um, Akira, Ghost in the Shell, things like that. I mean, I've seen all those. Yeah. Um, I haven't gone into it in um, you know a really deep dive. Yeah, yeah. But those I've seen, I've really enjoyed. Cool, Neil. I think the flip side of that is. Um, I- it's almost like we've got a sort of question time thing going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've got yeah, all, all different sides of the uh, the anime spectrum. So, Neil, um, what's your experience with um, Japanese animation? Absolutely, probably non-existent, to be honest. None at all. There's, there's so many, I'm ashamed to admit, there's so many films that Akira goes to the shell that everyone goes on about, and for whatever reason, I've just never seen him. It's not because of any sort of desire not to see him. They're all on my to-do list. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a good thing, though, because... I think there's certain concessions that anime fans give to anime that they wouldn't transpose onto other film styles. Yeah. I think we'll come That's to that accurate, in a bit. Yeah. But Hayden, um, am I right in thinking that you're well, probably the most passionate um, anime fan out of all of us at Film 89? Possibly. I know that you yourself are a big fan of anime and I certainly wouldn't claim to have watched an enormous amount like some of the diehards out there but yeah i've sort of been uh watching anime since i was a kid so there are certain shows certain movies that you know i'll always go back to um i've never read a lot of manga i haven't read alita and i believe it did get a couple of animated releases at some point um if i'm not mistaken and i haven't seen those but i'd certainly say that i'm 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 always looking for something new and something exciting because there's always there's always a lot happening in Japanese animation. Yeah, you are right. I, I'm, I, I'm far from being a hardcore anime fan. Far from it. And you know, in recent years, I probably haven't watched much at all. But I, I think I, I was one of those people that was there back in the, the sort of early '90s, uh, sort of ground zero level when we had that huge explosion of anime um, in the UK and, and the US. When you know the likes of Akira. Uh, Fist of the North Star, uh, Venus Wars, uh, there were countless titles. I think, I think the main one that started the explosion was Akira, and and that, that was an absolutely massive film. Obviously, it came out in Japan in '88, but but you know by the time they did the English translation, and then you know companies like Manga Video in the UK distributed it over here, and then they sort of grew this quiet cult following that, that very quickly snowballed. Yeah, you know films like Ninja Scroll. Uh, there, there were a few series. In, in fact, you know, I even remember the, the terrestrial TV companies over here cottoning onto it. And I think the first, the first ever anime film I ever saw was um, Hayao Miyazaki's Laputa Castle in the Sky, which was a film made in nineteen eighty six. But I, I, I'm sure I remember seeing it towards the late eighties or, or very early nineties on terrestrial TV. I, I'm a fan of certain anime. Um, you know, I, I've not been into the sort of the the stuff like No Offense, Hayden, the stuff like Dragon Ball and stuff like that. Um, that's not anything I ever got into. I know you're a big Dragon Ball fan, but you know there's been a few sort of um, films that I've really liked. But you know I'm I'm far from a hardcore fan, but I've certainly got an appreciation of of, of a lot of anime films as opposed to 
know, the TV series, which I've not really had the time to get into. I think I'm always looking for um, both new and classic anime films because I, I sort of feel the same way towards the shows these days. Um, but I grew up in, you know, in the in the 90s and the early 2000s um, with something called Cheese TV on our um, television, and that sort of had had all the all the big TV shows. You know, your Dragon Ball, your Pokemon. Um, so I really grew up on those, but did drift away from them sort of into my teen years and my young adult life and. Yeah, I'm looking for more stuff from, you know, the likes of Miyazaki. I haven't seen all of his films and sort of going, doing a deep dive into that all the time if I can. So that's where we are, obviously, as anime fans or, or non-fans or, or people with very little experience of it going in. Steve, obviously, you said you, you, you've read the first volume of the book. Neil, you're completely fresh. I take you've got no prior knowledge of Battle Angel. I, the only thing I knew about Battle Angel was that Cameron would try to develop it for so long. You know, just yeah. articles I'd read, but uh, no, no actual knowledge of it. And I'll be honest, I, I had very little knowledge of it, aside from, like Neil says, about the fact there was a film James Cameron had wanted to make for a long time. I'd never read the manga and never paid much attention to it other than that, really. It's um, very different to what I expected as well. One thing that surprised me, and it took me a while to get used to it, was the fact that I kept having to read from right to left. Yes, that's right, of course, because oh, Japanese manga books, they, they read from the back to the front or, yeah. or the, you know, the, the right to the left. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that took a while for me to. Yeah. This is not making any Although sense. Although they are, I think a, a, some traditional like translations will read that way. But I, I have seen a few books actually read from the you know the the, 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 the American and British way of left to right. So, you know, I, I'm trying to think of the last manga I read. If I if you know, I, I've read parts of Akira. I've not read all. I think it's something like eight volumes or something. But yeah, I, I've not read much in the way of actual manga. I, I actually read a few American ones, which are sort of done in the manga style, the, the few Street Fighter books. But um, yeah, other than that, not really read much in the way of manga. So I think we'll start with Neil. Yeah, like I say going in sort of blind, obviously, to it. I wasn't 100% sold on the uh, the trailers I'd seen of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were saying about it, when you got sort of uh, Rodriguez and uh, I'm going to do a Bill Scurry now, Jimmy Cameron mm-hmm. <laughs> putting the punches, you think, well, I'm going to give this a go. I've got to say, looking at the, the trailers, I thought it looked a bit ropey, if I'm honest, mm. effects-wise. Pleasantly surprised. Pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed this film. Yeah? Really? Yeah, yeah I, I was expecting you to go completely the other way. Yeah. Throw your curveball, my friend. Is, is, it, is this something that, that has dwelled on you over the last couple of days, or did you just think, coming out of it, I enjoyed it? I'm going to be completely honest. It's not a great film, by any <coughs> stretch of the imagination. Mm. If, we go, if we go with the full sort of hog... First half of the film, I'm sat there thinking, this is actually really good. Yep. A lot of exposition, very exposition yes. heavy, I thought. But I agree. Sort of went off the rails a little bit towards the end for me. But yeah. Mm. Enjoyable enough, yeah. Ah. yeah. Okay, Steve. I really enjoyed it as well, mm. I have to say. I came back out and I took my daughter. Uh, it was the first film I'd ever taken her to see, which dropped the F-bomb. Yes, yes. it wasn't yeah, F-bomb. She came as a surprise. Yeah. Uh, I asked her at the end, what do you think? She said, outstanding. She loved it. And uh, I was caught up. I thought the relationships were really, really well mm-hmm. done. That's the core of it. Um, I thought that the visual effects were really excellent. It's, the world mm-hmm. building is really well done. You really get a sense of that city. She's a really likeable heroine. Uh, yeah, I really, really got. I, I really enjoyed it. Hayden, I feel the same way, Steve. I thought the protagonist was extremely likable, and the CGI looked pretty great for the most part. 
I think that it got the basics right. I think that when it really just focused in on the main character's sort of her her plight and her mission, it did its job. Um, but I think it got bogged down a lot by a lot of really messy subplotting, subplotting, and um and yeah, a lot of um, exposition. Um, and it sort of for me fell apart by by the final act. Hmm. Not long into the film, I became very conscious of certain things. Like the story literally starts and hits the ground running. Uh, you've got uh, Christoph Waltz's character, who we first see. You, you see, like, a, a, I think there's a brief sort of cue card on screen that says about, uh, you know, the, the, the city's falling or... or yeah. Through, yeah, I think this, this film is set in something like 2586 or something like that. It, you know, it's set way off in the future. I felt that we were thrown headlong into the story. We meet Christoph Waltz's character almost immediately. We don't get to know him before he's actually on the scrap heap, you know, searching for, for, for parts of... of of, of cyborgs and whatever, which you know, the T800 arm I noticed as well. That yeah. would make perfect sense, being a James Cameron produced film. Yeah. I, I felt that it should have taken a little bit more time establishing him as a character, the the world that they lived in. You know, for a film that later on becomes bogged down by a lot of exposition, I thought that it jumped into things a little bit too quickly. Um, I would have liked to have had a little bit of a build up, meet Christoph Waltz's character see him as he is in his life, have him be the eyes through which we see this new future, then he finds Alita. But, you know, I think I think that, that, that first portion of the film just moved along a little bit too quickly for me. And then later on when he does find Alita, having no memory, quite conveniently, she then becomes someone that all of our characters sort of offload this exposition onto. And from that point of view, I felt that um, it was a little bit of um, amateurish, clumsy storytelling. It's one of those things that seems to surprise me now about Cameron. Is he does seem to go along very sort of basic sort of storylines, yeah, yeah. And he tries to encompass a hell of a lot in the sort of opening stanza of a film, and then the story really doesn't go anywhere. It's very sort of run of the mill storylines for me, if you know what I mean. And they, you know, this is a guy who's who's writing. You know, as a filmmaker in his earlier years, he was very much hands on with every aspect of filmmaking. You know, Terminator, Aliens, you know, The Abyss, Terminator Two, Rambo. Well, yeah, you know, and obviously he filmed, yeah, Rambo 2. He was, uh, you know, he wrote the script for that. He was a damn good writer. Well, in many respects, the um, city reminded me of his uh, Strange Days. Uh, uh, was it Stranger Days? Strange Days? That was a uh, big one, wasn't it? That's, yeah, but yeah, he, yeah, he wrote yeah, it. Yeah, 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 right, he wrote that, yeah. And, you know, it was that chaotic kind of, um, you know, background. There were so many people. It was... Yeah, it, it was a little bit of... Uh, there was like sort of hints of Ready Player One, like you say, Strange Days. Yeah. There was a little bit of Black Panther as well. I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bit of Wakanda. Bit of Wakanda. Well. Wakanda. Bit of a mix of everything going on there. there like, was, yeah, there, there was nothing in the initial part of the film that I don't think we'd seen before, both in you know non sort of um, anime style science fiction films, uh, you know, films like The Fifth Element, which you know, and then you're going back to you know films like Metropolis and Blade Runner, which were incredibly influ- influential. I don't think we saw anything new or groundbreaking from a you know from a story point of view, but you know I was lucky enough to see the film in three D IMAX, and I've got to say I, I know there's been a lot of criticism of three D on the whole, and it's sort of a technology this this kind of a lot of people have a grudging and, and thinking you know why have I got to pay extra personally? I didn't have to pay any extra for the IMAX three D. I think it cost me nine pound fifty, you know, which is a you know the average cinema price, especially in that you know the you know the the, the big Odeon cinema that we often go to. Um, you know, whereas a, a few years back, you'd be paying 
13, 14 pound to watch yeah. a, a 3DI maximum. So I think they've, you know, they've started to get things right there. From a technical point of view, I've got to say it. And, and I am kind of pro 3D when it's done right. There's a few films I've seen in 3D, um, certainly on 3D Blu-ray films like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man, Pacific Rim, uh, Prometheus, which are just absolutely just jaw-dropping. And, and I would actually watch the 3D versions over the 2D versions. And I've got to say it, Elite Battle Angel, in IMAX 3D is one of the most jaw-dropping things I've ever seen. The you know when the aspect ratio shifts from 2.35 to you know the 1.9 or or, or or even taller aspect ratio it may well be. You know the image was literally floor to ceiling. The amount of detail on display was staggering. The, the 3D was done in such a way that it was subtle. It gave a perfect amount of depth. There were a few little shots that had that sort of gimmicky in your face thing, but they again they were few and far between, and they were never. You know, to the point that you thought, oh, you know, they, they, they were overdoing it. It was genuinely, and there shouldn't be any surprise given the fact that James Cameron did incredible work on, you know, the film that kick-started this sort of 3D revolution in, in Avatar. It, it just looked absolutely jaw-dropping from start to finish. And as much as, I know people have said that some of the effects were a little bit ropey, on the whole, the effects on Alita were, were remarkable. She isn't supposed to look completely human. Um, I think James Cameron made the, he made a conscious choice of giving her the big eyes, like you see... Um, in in the sort of um, anime style where, where characters have got larger eyes than you know, normal humans. And I think all of that is, is a purely artistic choice. But there were certain moments in the film I just thought, way we're heading towards CGI becoming almost photorealistic. Films like this are taking big steps towards that and I think we're not too far off. No, I, I agree completely. Um, I, mean, I saw it on in um, 2D. I have an aversion to 3D because I wear glasses yeah. and I don't like wearing two pairs of glasses for a couple of <laughs> mm. hours. You know, uh, apparently Avatar 2, 3, 4, 5 and 6 and whatever it is are going to be coming out in 3D and you won't have to you wear glasses. Oh, sorry, Hayden, is the, um, is the Avatar sequel finally out in Australia yet? <laughs> We've seen the 10th. Oh, right. the 10th. Right. <laughs> don't, no spoilers, no spoilers. Okay. That's, that's a Jaws 19 thing then, isn't yeah. it? But uh, no, I mean... Uh, um, in 2D, it looked absolutely stunning, mm. and uh, the the underwater sequence, I oh, thought yeah. it was it was quite beautiful. Well, there you are. We've got a balance here as well because you've got 3D IMAX, you've got this 2D, and I've got 3D. Ah, right. So you there, go. We, there you go. We can yeah. plan this better. How did you watch it, Ethan? Was it in 3D? Uh, 3D as well. Yep. Yeah. So, guys, not IMAX though. What what was what was the standard 3D presentation like? I'm the world's worst for this. I always think with 3D films, does a film need to be 3D? I know when. There's certain films you see on IMAX, I just, ugh, sometimes I'm just like, the film should sell itself, it shouldn't need any sort of No, gimmicks. I know. And but I, I will admit, yeah. with this, there were certain parts where I did think the enhancement worked, you know? I got, I got consciously wrapped up in the fact that I was probably having a better experience watching it in IMAX than people who weren't, because you're actually, first off, you're seeing more image detail, because with a, you know, the, the shift in the aspect ratio, you're actually seeing more of the actual filmed image, top and bottom. It's a little bit frustrating that you can't go and see the IMAX presentation in 2D like you could with some films. I think, yeah. didn't we see uh, Deadpool or Deadpool 2 in 2D IMAX? I'm sure we did. Yeah, we did. We, yeah. Yeah, we did, yeah. So, you know, you, you don't always have to, you know, you can film a film in IMAX without greater you know level of detail, just like The Dark Knight. That wasn't filmed in 3D, but it was presented in 2D IMAX. So yeah, from that point of view, I thought it looked absolutely jaw-dropping. There was, there was a few moments in particular. There was the one where Alita rubs her hand in the blood and then she rubs it on her face. Even though she isn't a real character, her skin and the actual blood, the colour on the blood, the way it's smeared, the way you could see it like soaking into her pores, I was completely blown away. I thought that, from a, from a special effects point of view, looks absolutely perfect. 
Yeah, and I'd say on the whole, it was one or two sort of, use the word rugby again, uh, Cameroon, Macarena, Jackie, Earl Hurdy was playing. Gruishka. Gruishka. There was yeah. there was just something about that that just looked too sort of oh, plastic yeah, yeah. and sort of, the, the impression I had when I was watching, when I'd see the trailers, and I'd seen the trailers in an IMAX cinema as well, mm. was that it looked, it wasn't the finished article, and I was scared the whole film was going to be yeah. sort of like, sometimes it can pull you out of it, can't it? Yeah, yeah. But I guess on the whole, I was, you know, I was happy with the effects. Yeah. I, th- I thought, you know, on the, on the majority of the effects with Lita herself, the, you know, the way that Rosa Salazar, she was mo-capped and much like Andy Serkis did with the Planet of the Apes films and with, with Gollum, she's actually sort of adding to the facial expressions, which are, you know, later being enhanced with CG. And, you know, a lot of that performance is down to her, down to her physicality, the way she moves. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a damn good stab at furthering the thing of a fully CG character. That you know, that character played by Jackie Earl Haley, he does look a little bit ridiculous. He's completely exaggerated. His proportions yeah. are all all to part. You know, certain characters like that. But then Ed Screen's character, it, which is basically a human face, sort of uh, grafted onto a robot body, he looked absolutely incredible. Do you know? I was thinking halfway through this, Neil Blomkamp's making the new Ro- Robocop film. Yeah. If yeah. Weller doesn't want to do it and he sticks to his guns, get a screen of Ogle Coach because mm. he could be Murphy. He had that sort of Robocop look about him. I, I liked his character, the, the way he looked. I, I, I couldn't work out. Now, a lot of these characters are supposed to be almost completely robotic, but they still got some human parts to them. No, what like, what human parts did he have left? It, he was. This is head, wasn't it? He was on. Well, I don't know, because he was just a face mask, wasn't it, as such? Well, yeah, well, no, because it's, it's just like because when they sliced it, you could see the back of his jaw. Oh yeah, you oh, could I see thought, his, I thought yeah. it was robotics. Yeah, 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 and oh, maybe, maybe they couldn't show too much in the way of sort of blood and gore on that part because obviously there's still a you know it's still a PG 12 12A film. That had a huge laugh in the cinema. Yeah, yeah, when he, yeah. Spoiler oh, alert! We've done it again. We forgot the spoiler alert. Either way, if you, if you're listening to this, you know what we're like. We're not gonna uh, we're not gonna skirt around things. Perhaps we're gonna be put this at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we should put like a warning at the beginning. You should just record one warning, just put it at the beginning of, of every, every episode. episode. Yeah, every yeah episode we always we do, it. To do, always it. do it. So there you go. Ed Screen's character gets his face cut off. Sorry about that. Anyone who's not seen Elite <laughs> Battle Angel, but there you go. Hayden, what do you think of the uh, the, the non-human characters in the film? Ed Screen's character was okay. I mean, the CGI was excellent as you said um i found a lot of the characters overall apart from alita were kind of forgettable i kind of can't remember anyone's name maybe going off topic from the question you've asked i found that a lot of the relationships were established by um someone we just met encountering someone we're now meeting who is telling the person we've met what their relationship is it just felt really clunky all the time so non-human or human characters i felt like i couldn't actually engage with any of them i think the first scene that we um the first sort of action scene when alita takes on three sort of cyborgs um at night when she's tracking christoph waltz's character who i've again i've forgotten his name as well um ido ido Ido, i think yeah it wasn't a bad scene. I thought the action scenes were were incredible overall, to be honest. But the dialogue just felt so um, ham-fisted. And I, I think that it, the writing was trying to emulate that sort of manga and anime sort of exaggerated style. But I think that that comes back to the fact that I feel like when there are these Western adaptations of these stories written in Japan, I feel like something is missing and it doesn't always work and i found that that those were the parts that i sort of couldn't completely engage with 
you know, Hayden, you've actually hit on something I haven't, you know, even consciously addressed in my own mind. The fact that you've got manga and anime, which is a Japanese art form, really, you know, for want of a better yes, word. Yeah. It is yep. wholly, you know, Japanese in origin. It, it's a very, you know, culturally unique thing. And then you've got this actually being made by a non-Japanese filmmaker or filmmakers. Something there is, you know, for want of a better term, going to be lost in translation. And yeah, yeah I think, you know, we've seen a transition in, in anime itself going from traditional cell-drawn animation to CG. If you look in the, like the, you know, the 2004 Appleseed remake, you know, you've got, I think, a, a late 80s hand-drawn version of Appleseed, the, the, the Masamune Shiro manga. And then you've got the 2004 CG version. You know, it's the same story being told with the same sort of voice acting. It all feels very familiar. It just looks a lot sharper because obviously it is done in CG, you know, by Japanese filmmakers. Yeah. It's one of those things that would this film be better if it was made by Japanese filmmakers using, you know, the, the sort of technology that James Cameron and Robert Rodriguez have employed? You know, would it would it then be even closer to you know replicating the source material? Because I like you have got, you know, we, we talked about the non the CG characters. What do we think of the the human characters in it, Neil? I just found that a lot of the human characters were there just as just exposition dumps, to be honest, mm. weren't they? Just to sort of drive along the plot and yeah. really speaking, weren't given a lot to do. Boss's character, which again, Doctor Edo. I'm just, I'm just gonna have a is, it, is it Doctor Dyson Edo? Dyson. And is that a callback to Miles Bennett Dyson from well, Terminator yeah, Two? I don't know because yeah, could well be. Well, he was a hunter warrior, wasn't he? Yeah, hunter killer. He was a hunter warrior. That's so, right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, again with that, it was also like very rushed, you know, and there seemed to be this sort of dynamic there that obviously he'd lost his daughter and he was mm. grieving, and it, but it was all very sort of rushed for me, and it was like, yeah. it was almost there just to serve edge onto the next scene, you mm. know? And there was a moment of dialogue in that, which I have to admit, it, it was, it reminded me of uh, The Force Awakens, when they say, our daughter, our daughter, you're married, you know your daughter's name. Yeah. yeah. Nobody speaks like that. In Force Awakens, they were talking about our son. Yeah, our son. that's right. And yeah. that really greets me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just to reinforce, just in case someone had to go to the bathroom, these two used to be married. Yeah. <laughs> like, basically, yeah. yeah. Guys, do we buy Christoph Waltz and Jennifer Connolly as a former married couple? No. No. Probably not. I, I agree. Nice, I don't. I, I don't at all. And, you know, I, I thought... Jennifer Connelly's character, yeah, you know, you've got that bit, and again, spoilers, where towards the end she comes around and she's actually, you know, she's not a bad person as such. But I just didn't think there was much to her character. A lot of her character didn't actually make sense to me in the fact that she obviously wanted to get back up, up to the uh, the city. So she's doing this by building these killer robots, uh, cyborgs, sorry, one of which is responsible for the death of her daughter. Yeah, you know, again. And I'm just like, so where's the motivation with that? Like, no, you know, that's right. I can't, the irony I, is that like, you're saying that there's too much, uh, you know, exposition, and yet we could have done with a little bit with yeah, yeah, and that relationship. I, I'm sure we're all going to be like singing from the same hymn book here. The fact that plot-wise, you know, the, the narrative is it, not in any way groundbreaking, and I think from a personal point of view, any enjoyment I got from this film was mostly to do with like the sort of technical marvel I was witnessing. The effects, the it, it was it was very much a visual experience. It much like another film that, you know, I, I, I was finding myself comparing it to was Pacific Rim. Now, Neil, I know you're not a fan <laughs> of that film. Steve, I know you are. I am, yes. I watched Power Rangers once. But, and, uh... no. Pacific Rim is far from being the most it's it's not a well acted film, it's not very well written, but 
God damn it, those effects are absolutely incredible. Yeah, I will give you that. It is a jaw-dropping spectacle. And I've got to say, it's one of those films where, being such an effects-heavy film, at no point throughout that film did the effects ever fall no, it, down. No, it felt re- like 300-foot mo- um, robots yes. hitting yeah. each other. Yeah. You know, and you could feel the impact. You I know, I know we're going off point, but when you're talking about a film that is so effects-heavy... If those effects are completely jaw-dropping, they completely convince you that what you're watching on screen is real. I think that goes some way to sort of, you know, add into the overall entertainment value of the film. And, you know, whilst Alita is is far from being groundbreaking in, in the way that from, you know, like, you know, Avatar was. You know, whatever people think of Avatar, it is an incredible-looking film. Yeah, I'd say this, this I'd say I'd probably do Rodriguez a disservice here because we're talking about Cameron films, really, when we should be comparing it to his films. But, yeah. Yeah, I sort of put it in the same sort of boat as Avatar, which is as a viewing experience, it's amazing, it's fantastic, it's a wonderful experience. Mm. Story wise, it's very basic and very sort of generic and very nothing I yeah. haven't seen before, you know? No. Again, another thing I was conscious of watching it, go back to last year, uh, one of our earlier episodes when we reviewed Ready Player One. Mm. I, you know, it was, was that you, me, and Jimbo. Jim Cottle? The late, the, no, late, the late Jim Cottle. God rest his soul. We, you know, we were lucky enough to see the film. I think we saw the film two weeks before the general release. Yeah, and yes. I think, what did we give it? About I think we gave it a 7 out of seven, 10 yeah, overall. Yeah. I've already yeah. gone back on that score and thought, yeah, we scored that film too high. I think we got caught up in the thing of, you know, there was a, it almost seemed like a privilege of seeing the film early. There was all of that, you know, all the geeky references. I've since watched it a few more times now. I don't think it's a 7 out of 10. Yeah, but I, the way I always see um think about rating films is when I see a film for the first time I always give it like a rating mm. it's a first time being then, yeah obviously yeah, that rating when can I go, go back down later, no, 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 it yeah. often changes yeah. and I, you know, I think even at the time Steve I think you me and Jim we were actually conscious of the fact that when we watch Ready Player One again that score could, could have gone down I think with this film I've got two ratings in my mind when I'm looking to score it not that you can base you know everything on the numeric but there's that initial ooh ah wow sort of visual experience enjoyment and then there's the thing of, is this a film I'm going to go and watch? You know, would, would I now go back and watch that film in 2D non-IMAX, you know, when a lot of my enjoyment was based on the fact that what I was seeing was just pure eye candy? Probably not, if I'm honest. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I, I might, you know, um, mm. because one thing that we, we haven't discussed yet, which I was really impressed by, is the relationship between the Doctor and Alita. I really believed that relationship. I really, really liked that relationship. Mm. I didn't love the relationship only because I often felt like, again, because we didn't get to know Ito that well, going back to what Sky said at the very start. So pretty much from the beginning, it seemed he was kind of possessive over her. So I kept going back to that and thinking, yeah, you sort of built her back up, but now you're just trying to control her a bit and make decisions for her. So because we weren't given enough information on him as a character and we sort of only learned about his daughter, again, through dialogue later on, we didn't get to create that relationship with him before we started to see these kind of negative attributes, I would say. I don't know, because I, I, I'm looking at it from the point of view that I'm a father on a, of a daughter on the cusp of teenagehood. It was very believable in that respect, I think. You know, his possessiveness, you, know, you could say that he was a negative thing, but you know, that's fatherhood, I think. This, this may be a bit of an unpopular sort of opinion, but I actually don't think Christoph Waltz was particularly well cast in this film. I agree. Every time I see Christoph Waltz, I got to go back to those two iconic roles of Dr. King Schultz from Django Unchained and Colonel Hanslander from Inglorious Bastards. One character who is 
a good man, albeit, you know, a lot of the stuff he does is, you know, a little questionable. bit dodgy, questionable. <laughs> and another one who's just a complete bastard. So you've got both sides of the coin there. I actually, I think I actually preferred his performance as Dr. King Shaw. So I actually thought there was a lot more, lot more sort of depth to that character. Either way, both are incredible performances. In this film, I, I think his talents are, are not put to the best use, if I'm honest. It could have been anybody, I think. It, yeah, yeah, it could have, yeah, 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 it could have been anyone, yeah. This is what I found with a lot of the sort of human characters. Like you say, it could have really been anyone. There's not really a lot for him to do there, is no. there? Such, no, no, know? but I, I, like I say, I did like the relationship, but you're, you're right, at the same time, if, um, I don't know, they put even like a Tom Cruise in there doing exactly the same thing, yeah. it would have been the same. You know, I would have still liked the relationship, but he could have had anybody. There was nothing, you know, uh, his personality didn't really come through. Bearing in mind this film is very much CGI heavy. Did anyone pick up on the reference to Lawn Mower Man? Yes. Yes, Jeff, yeah. Jeff Ahi. Yes. yes. <laughs> we played McTeague, the guy with the dogs. No, I, I saw him. So no, I couldn't remember his I, name. I couldn't know. <laughs> I, I knew who he was. Yeah, it was only later on that I, I looked on IMDb. I was like, yeah, that's who he is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh, I worked it up for the car pack. <laughs> ah, right, yeah. I couldn't remember his name. I was like, oh. You know, I, I don't think any of the cast. I mean, you've got Mahershala Ali as, as Vector, who's pretty much I think he, he's again, sort of like uh, until the, the very end he's your main antagonist isn't but he but again this is a case of did it, you know we've got Waltz and Ali yeah both quality actors let's be honest like, uh, Jennifer power, Connelly's a great actor Jennifer actress. Connelly they're so wasted yeah, yeah they're kind yeah. of wasted aren't they like you they see are. and I think that's, that's down to the material and then you've got the younger um, cast like uh, Kean Johnson as Hugo you know and you've got George Lindeborg Jr and Lana Condor as Kiyomi uh, which I, my daughter did actually pick up on. She's a fan. I actually thought it was very much sort of YA material. It was like you know these these young adult novels and oh. they did eye candy for the end. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But they, they were all these little sort of street urchin type people who lived in the slums, but they were all like really nice, oh, well dressed, and well dressed. Yeah, for, yeah. they were yeah. also polite and nice to each other as well. It was like you've got to watch out for this. You've got to watch out for this city. Everyone will take you for whatever they can. They'll rip yeah. your arms and legs off. I know. I know. You know. Again. As we go down the plot, we find out that some of them are doing that. Yeah. But instantly, it was a case of you're living in this city where, yeah. you know, they'll literally pin you down and cut your leg off. I've just built this cyborg. I'm just going to let wander off there and go play with these kids, you know. <laughs> it, it all yeah. seemed to be a bit just, of the Just don't go, for, go far and make sure you're home before dark. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think the reason that this sort of future downfall of society has occurred is probably because of a lack of good health and safety, though. Because how many people have lost an arm or a leg in this future? Yeah. It's just everyone, wasn't it? Yeah. It's like you come up, oh, what happened in work today, Lev? Oh, I lost my arm. What Never happened? Oh, I got, got, got caught in a thrashing machine. Well, what, what did the foreman do about it? Oh, he just gave me this robotic one, you know? Had there been some big dangerous factory or foundry there where the people were forced to work and were losing limbs, that, yeah. that would have made them yeah. some yeah. sort of sense. So if they'd been like killer crocodiles, and they were scared yeah. to tell Sorry, my first impression was of the film was that the world building was good, but the narrative was poor. But the more we talk about, it's not actually that clear why the world is how it is, and it doesn't always fall in line with how characters are behaving. The world building kind of starts to fall apart a little bit as well. I fully agree with you, Hayden. Right, but I, I recently I, I listened to a, an episode of a podcast that w was actually talking about um, Japanese animation, and when you've got the, the the transition into sort of American sort of adaptations of it, they give you too much exposition. Whereas yep. films like Akira, you know, as you've written about yourself in a in, in a brilliant piece you wrote for Film Eighty Nine about Akira for the you know for the. 30th anniversary there's so much that the, the audience has to work out for themselves 
And you know, that's a mark of a good film a lot of the time is when you, you don't ram things down the audience's throat. You don't undermine the intelligence of the audience. You let them work things out for yourself. Whereas this film is just throwing everything at you. You know, you're not left, you know, asking any questions about anything. But then at the same time, you know, there's stuff that maybe they should have set up early on in the film to show us how we've come to this future where we are. Little things which could have been done with a few lines of dialogue. You know, instead of all, you know, the you know the character exposition, which is sort of telling us how these characters got to where they are now, and I think a lot of that is is, is quite amateurish and is quite ham-fisted. I think it could be a cultural yeah. thing, though, because maybe the Japanese are so, um, you know, they've got this in, embedded in the system and the, the manga. It's, yeah. it's been going on for so many years with them. It's on TV all the time. It's in the cinema all the time. It's in a, you know, it's so popular there that they accept. That yeah, has happened. Whereas for us, yeah, you know, uh, Western audiences, we've got yeah. to have it explained to us. Well, I think you know maybe Akira is a bad example because the actual film of Akira, when it was being made, the actual books were still being written. So you know they didn't actually know I think, fully like you know the sort of full story details. They knew the beginning, they knew the end, but they didn't know a lot of the in between. But you know, I, I just found myself thinking back to you know other you know better anime films which which told a very similar story in a far more sort of rich and detailed way films like the 2004 version of Appleseed which is a fantastic film would it be accurate to perhaps say that um at least when it comes to these sort of sci-fi genre films there is a little bit more nuance happening when they're making it you know back in Japan and they're adapting these manga stories for animation there is a bit more nuance and American filmmakers or Western filmmakers are having a hard time yeah making that transition yeah I, I agree Hayden I think they're getting they're getting so wrapped up in recreating this sort of world from a visual point of view that they're just forgetting the basic tenets of how to tell a good story and how to make good characters yeah, but what I would say with this as well, I think they were probably dealt a sort of a tricky task as well, where this film had to be a certain rating. And it was like as if, like you said, they were trying to... And to a, to a certain degree, they do balance it out quite well. But they are trying to appeal to two sort of very different audiences. Yeah. But, you know, I've got to say, time. you know, I'm, I'm quite liberal with, um, you know, the, certainly the films I let my, my oldest, my, my seven-year-old watch. I, I wouldn't take him to watch Alita because I just think it's a little bit too... Yeah. There are some quite gory scenes. You see a character get cut in half. Um, I watched I watched it with my son. My son's 12, and like I say, there was one or two scenes. But I don't think he was shocked. I think he was just shocked that he was seeing it in a 12 film. Yeah. It was more just a fact of, oh, wow, I can't believe that in a 12 film. Yeah. You know, he was more yeah, sort yeah. of shocked by that. You know, the bit with the dog as well was... What you didn't actually see was happening mm, was quite... Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it was... was but, you know, the, to then write the blood on your face and stuff like yeah. that. Like you say, people getting cut in half, you know. Right. There were one, and as Steve mentioned, an F-bomb as well. There was. Well, yeah, you're always going to get yeah. a PG-13-12 film. There's always allowed one or two, yeah. you know, either push F-bombs. We, we focus a lot on the sort of negative story aspects. I've got to say, right, there were a few bits. The, the bar fight. Yeah. I thought the bar fight was brilliant. Yeah, was. again... Looked good. Yeah, you know, from, from just, just from a point of view of, you know, you, you've got these completely CG characters. Yes, you know, the fighting is highly stylized, but then, you know, the person that's doling out the, you know, the mayhem, she's not a human. Her, you know, her capabilities are far beyond that of a human. The other characters she's fighting are not. So then you've got to, I think you've got to sort of taper your expectations accordingly. I, I, I thought it just, having seen you know, a lot of films which have got an incredible amount of like over-the-top fighting, you know, films like Fist of the North Star, um, you know, films like that, I, I thought it did a damn good job of replicating that. 
And that was the first scene leading up to that fight that I knew that the whole audience I was with, watching it with, were really into it because yeah. there was a lot of laughs. Yeah. Just seeing this little girl taking mm. on them all, yeah. you know, brothers and sisters. Yeah. Again, sorry to keep going back to it, but it was like, what, what does, what does this film want to achieve? I think, you know, is she going to film this sort of like revolution with these guys, or is she going to yeah. go and do motorball, or is she going to, mm. you know, it was like there was too many sort of. Story well, elements yeah, being so right. That is right. In the original right. volume. Yeah. Um, and I can say, you've got to imagine I'm watching this as someone who's completely yeah. blank page with it. You know? Well, in the original book, um, Gruishka is by himself and he's going around and he's basically sucking the brains out of people. Right. He is a known threat. He's been, yeah. you know, so that part, you know, the serial killer element was actually um, brought mm. to the fore in the, you know, right. it's, it's been pushed back in this film. Yeah, because it seemed and, to be, I thought that again, that. To begin with, I was thinking, oh, we have some sort of Jack the Ripper type sort of story yeah. where obviously they were, you know, you thought it was Doctor uh, Dyson, but uh, you know, then it's going to move on to someone else. But again, it seemed to be yeah, jumping back there, and forth narrative wise. There was a there was a load of little separate sort of chapters really that went yeah. from the one chapter of her being found of her getting to grips of this new world. Then you had the one of her tracking down possibly the serial killer who might be a new father yeah and then you had the romance element which separate like you know there was a lot of separate compartmentalized little stories that were linked together and then you had you know the multiple one and then towards the end then the you know the finale of them trying to and, and oh again spoilers but the bit where uh, hugo uh, gets stamped and then jennifer Connelly cuts his head off yeah, what I, the hell? I didn't know what the fuck was going on with that. I, just, I, I thought that was that was pushing things way too far, and then you had him stuck on his robot party, his head. Like I, I just thought it was ridiculous. Um, at that point, I, I was, I, yeah, I think there the seems film, to be some sort of uh, effort for cutting the head off because he had some sort of like wire type. Yeah, yeah, do heart, heart Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know. But, but I mean, it would, you know, there was obviously a, a, a bit, well, bit a well practiced thing, but. You know, if medical technology is that advanced, um, surely being stabbed through the abdomen, um, they would, could have fixed would, him. Would have fixed well, yeah. yeah, but he would, they would have to do it quickly, wouldn't they? Yeah. No, 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 yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I suppose. The scene where he was dying was actually quite quite emotional to to an extent, and then you know, twenty minutes later, he dies again, and at that point, it, the film sort of lost me, and it was the very end of the film, and I thought the same character is dying within twenty minutes. This film's dragged on too long. What what's it even about anymore? By that stage, Aiden, I've got to be completely honest. It was getting to the stage where it's one of those films where you're thinking, this this can only up an end now. Yeah, yeah. I I, I, <coughs> yeah, I, yeah. I just think that it, I had so much goodwill from it. You know what I mean? Because I did really enjoy it throughout. That uh, if anything, if they released a sequel next week, I'd go and see it just to find out what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, Edward I, Norton. I, I the big I, reveal I, at I, the I, end. I had an argument with someone about it. They were telling tell me what Ed Norton. It it it, it didn't <laughs> look credited. It, is no, he? it didn't like, look like Edward Norton until he looked like James Cameron. Mm. Yeah, well, until yeah. until he took the glasses off, yeah. I don't think he looked like Ed Norton. And then he was like, "Oh, it is Ed, Ed Norton." Yeah. And it's his voice that they use when you know he was uh, he was going jacking into yeah. Uh, yeah. what's his name? Going into Mahershala Ali. Yeah, his um, his body. It was apparently it was Ed Norton's voice. Right, guys, let's um, let's go around the table and wrap things up. Let's 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 go to the table far off in the distance first. Hayden, what's your final thoughts and your score for Alita: Battle Angel? Final thoughts. The film got messier as it went on. Alita and the performance by... Um, Rosa Salazar, um, yeah. Sort of at least kept the film from completely derailing. The second part of the second act and, the, and then the third act, yeah, it began to drag as... as um, as Neil said, and I was sort of, by the end of it, I was kind of glad it had ended, even though it didn't really end 
in a way. It sort of felt like a curtain raiser for a sequel that they want to make at some point. Overall, though, I thought the action was really exciting. I found the motorball sequences were actually quite engaging and the CGI was was excellent. But it's not a film I'm going to be rushing back to see anytime soon and I would probably give it a 6.5 out of 10. Okay. Steve? Um, well, I really enjoyed it. I was swept up with it. I thought that the relationships were really well done. Rosa Salazar was, I think she was excellent. I think she is the star of the film, no doubt. Yes, you know, there are elements which, you know, there are issues with it. However, um, I think I had so much goodwill. I had so much goodwill for it that I was there right to the end. I would give perhaps seven, seven and a half out of ten if I can. Seven and a half, yeah, yeah. sure. Neil? Yeah, it probably sounds like I've been really negative throughout. You know, I've pointed out many plot points and plot holes and things that have bothered me throughout the film. But strangely, I quite enjoyed it. I thought I got to the stage where I thought I'm going to turn my brain off a little bit and just just roll with it. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I was, you know, not to say it's a daft film, but I'm just going to stop overthinking it. Again, Echo and Hayden. Towards the end, I was just like, this is just getting preposterous now. Which way is this going? But I'd probably agree again. I'm going to go because my Australian friends already did. I go six and a half. Six and a half. Okay. Yeah, I, you, I, I've got issues with the the exposition being shoved down your throat um, and then other things being left frustratingly ambiguous apart from Alita herself and maybe Ed's Ed screen you know purely from a you know performance point of view and, and how he looked and just you know how much of a you know sort of amusingly sneering villain he was I don't think the film and, offered and, anything and new used, I'd say yeah and the use possibly yeah but from a technical and visual point of view it blew my socks off and you know, that helped me enjoy the film a lot more probably than I would have, you know, if I'd just seen it in 2D. But again, I, I, I'm going to go with my brain on this one. It's a film that I did enjoy, but I'm not really sure I want to see a sequel to it because I'm not really sure, you know, where else they can go. I don't even want to see what's up in that big flying city, to be honest with you. Well, it's... I was thinking of Jodie Foster and Elysium. Yeah, I, I can, you know... Yeah, strange enough, yeah, same sort of thing, yeah. You know, this film didn't show us from a story point of view, anything we haven't seen before. It was a really good technical exercise. Yeah, I'm going to give it 6 out of 10. So, uh, that is... Ooh, combined score of 26.5, which when you divide by 4, we'll round it up. That's a, it's 6.625 out of 10. So, film 89 verdict for Elite Battle Angel of 7 out of 10. That's okay. Hi-ho! of movements involving two partners where speed and rhythm match harmoniously oh. with music. Need a hand? I do appreciate the offer. But I can handle this guy by myself, thanks. Yeah, that's what you think, wise guy. Yeah! 
say your goodbyes, lard ass, because you're already dead. <laughs> you see, what did I tell you? Still in one piece, good as new. <laughs> A little sloppy, but interesting technique. The Matrix has been passed to their new leader, Ultra Magnus. Destroy it for me. Why should I? What's in it for me? Your bargaining posture is highly dubious, but very well. I will provide you with a new body and new troops to command. And? And nothing. You belong to me now. I belong to nobody! Perhaps I misjudged you. Proceed. On your way to oblivion. No! 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 I accept your terms! I accept! So, our favourite three topic this episode is our... And, and quite in keeping with the, the main review, is our favourite animated films. Um, obviously, you've got traditional cell-drawn animation, you've got uh, CG animation. You know, we, we've run a full glut. I don't think, um, I think, between our individual choices, I don't think we can leave any particular, you know, style of animation out. It's one of the oldest forms of filmmaking. I think we'll start with Hayden. What's your number three? Uh, number three, a Miyazaki film, Princess Mononoke. I've actually only seen it the once, but I've been meaning to watch it again and again because it's very rich in detail and it's very adult when you um, really start to look at its themes. So um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but um, I would I would highly recommend it to anyone who wants to check out some an anime. It's really epic. I, I'm ashamed yeah. to say, guys, that I've seen it once and um, I was badly hungover. And I can, all I can remember is it had quite a strong environmental sort of thing to it. But I can't remember much else. <laughs> Not a good idea to watch a film on a Sunday morning when you're nursing a critical hangover. Um, yeah, I, I can't really add much. I'm a huge Miyazaki fan, but that's the one sort of blind spot I've got is Princess Mononoke. Neil? Uh, again, I'm going to show my complete ignorance when it comes to this now. Because like I say, anime... I'm just behind the times, really. Yeah. Number three, I'm going to start with a film that came out in 1993. I'm a little bit of a Batman fan, and that'll be Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, great. Yeah. Yes. It's not It's not the perfect film. I've seen some people say this could be a Batman film. I think the basis for a Batman film is definitely there. Mm. But uh, enjoyable nonetheless. Yeah I, yeah, I think I saw it back in the late 90s. Yeah, really good Batman film. And I, I think I, I've seen quite a lot of Batman polls. It's a lot of people's favourite Batman film. A lot of people say that. Like I say, there's, there's certain elements to that that if it was transferred to a live-action film would have to be addressed. But it's got that sort of... It was a stage after Burton's Batman where the animated stuff started and it almost became sort of retro but yet modern and it's got mm. that look to it. And of course you've got Kevin Conroy doing the voice of Batman. Well, again, Mark, Kevin Mark, Conroy. Mark Hamill is a Joker, so what, what can you ask for? Kevin Connors, a lot of people's favourite Batman, and, you know, apart from Heath Ledger, yeah, Mark Hamill is my Joker. Yeah. From from the Batman yeah. Arkham Asylum games. Yeah. Hayden, uh, do you want to chip in about uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm? Because I know you're a big fan of the Batman animated series. Yeah, I've actually been working on, trying to work on a piece for that film for for a really long time because I've, I've always found that that particular movie has always hit, hit both the, the ridiculous you know, wacky aspect of the Batman character and sort of mythology and also managed to find that sort of darker, grittier, noir aspect as well. So I find that it's a really nice balance and that keeps in line with the show as well. So great pick, Neil. Yeah. 
Uh, my number three is a Japanese anime film, and it's the one that sort of made me fall in love with anime. It's from 1986, Fist of the North Star. Have any of you seen it, guys? Okay, then, well, yeah, I, I've got a bit of a pre-typed sort of thing of it. It's based on the acclaimed manga series by Baronson and Tetsu Ohara, directed by Toyo Ishida. The actual 1986 animated film, Fist of the North Star, is it's a kind of condensed theatrical retelling of the animated Fist of the North Star TV series that aired from 1984 to 1988. So you had this TV series around for four years, and halfway through that, they actually released a theatrical film that sort of tells the story in a condensed form. It, it tells the story of a, of a violent, sort of ruined, post-nuclear apocalyptic land where these gangs roam and terrorise the survivors who scrabble for food and resources. Much much like Australia in the future that you're probably living in now, Hayden, is that right? Very similar. What what the IMDB synopsis would fail to mention is the fact that some of these survivors have gained these like insanely over-the-top skills and abilities, which have been then honed through the, stud, the study of deadly martial arts. It's kind of like a cross between Mad Max and a martial arts film. And then they sort of injected it with that crazy serum from Universal Soldier and they ramped everything up to the max. It is absolutely insane. Nothing at all about Fist of the North Star, North Star is subtle. It's filled with insane levels of ultraviolence. It's got some brilliantly quotable dialogue and just stunning imagery. Uh, the US English dub is one of the very best dubs of a non-English language film I've seen. And it's definitely the version I'd recommend you seek out. Unfortunately, it's never received any sort of remastered Blu-ray release and is frustratingly hard to come by, given the fact that during the anime boom of the early 90s, you know, you could find the VHS version everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, you could find it in HMV, WH Smith. It was, it was just everywhere. And then all of a sudden, as we transition into DVD and Blu-ray, you can't get the film anywhere. Really frustrating. But not to jump ahead, but Akira got pushed out by this simply because... I've watched Fist of the North Star so many times. I haven't seen it probably for about 15 years, but I can still quote reams of dialogue from the film. Definitely worth seeking out. It is completely batshit crazy, but I know that you guys would definitely appreciate it. Steve, what's your number three? Well, when we, we decided, you know, we we're going to discuss animated films, I thought, oh, that's going to be easy. Oh, mm. it's not. No. So I've basically broken them up into not different genre, but different types of animation and everything. So my number three echoing what uh, Hayden just said it's a Miyazaki film and that's Spirited Away oh yeah fantastic it's a film with so much imagination in it, and uh, you know it's mm. visually stunning it's every time I sit down and watch it it just sweeps me away you know, I don't have to say anything about it because I think have you have you seen I, it again I'm, I'm, oh. totally, I'm totally ignorant I'm really good oh my god where do you start with Spirited Away for those who haven't seen it it tells a tale of this little girl who um, her parents take her to it's sort of set after the Japanese recession of the of the 90s isn't it and they go to a fairground yeah. which is sort of you know you know, back in the 90s there were all these like sort of high tech sort of amusement parks and a lot of them got mothballed she goes there with her parents and all of a sudden she actually gets taken into this world of I don't even know where to begin know, it's, it's just it's crazy. absolutely it's... batshit crazy but it's, it's one of the most incredible kids films I've ever seen but it's one of those kids films that will appeal to adults as well you just see stuff in that film that you just will not see outside of a Miyazaki film it's just incredible it's one of those things we, you know, we've talked about you know like um, the Batman film would that be a live action yeah. film you could not do Spirit you of the Wind never, no, as a live action no even if I was to tell you now Neil some of the stuff in this film you just look at me funny Yeah. but you've got to see it it's just a complete work of art and it is It is one of my ones because say as you know my nephew my nephew's big into the sort of, especially yeah. Japanese animation it's one of those things that's always on my to-do list I never get round to sitting down and watching these films there's so many of these films 
albums, you know, I know the relevance of them. I know they must be good because everyone talks about them. But for whatever reason, I never seem to find the time or the inclination to watch them, you know? Yeah. Uh, what are we, Hayden? You're number two. I'll preface this by saying that all of my picks have ended up being uh, Japanese animated movies. I originally was going to try and sort of make it a bit of a, a variety of things, um, you know, a bit of Disney, some modern stuff. But at the end of the day, I came back to the fact that these three movies are the films that I'll probably watch over and over for the rest of my life. And I can't say that about the films that while I love from my childhood, like, um, you know, Aladdin or The Lion King, which I grew up with, I'm just not going to watch them as often as I am these three. So my number two is Akira, which won't surprise anyone. Thank God you picked it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, watching it today, it feels a bit like a superhero movie or really a supervillain movie made well before it was really a thing. You and me, Sky, we could probably talk about this film all day. Absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned my article earlier, but you chipped in quite significantly on that thing. So I don't think it'd look the same if if you hadn't jumped in and added your two cents. Thank God. It's almost, it, it's timeless. It doesn't fit into the same category as, say, a leader where it's not a, it's not cyberpunk, so to speak. It's just this really epic, dramatic science fiction tale that, that I would recommend to absolutely everybody, whether you're into Japanese animation or, or not. Yeah, you're absolutely right there, Hayden, because it it does fall under the umbrella of cyberpunk, which is sort of this, you know, this this term that was coined following, um, you know, the release of Blade Runner. But there isn't actually any characters in it that you would sort of, you know, there's there's no one with cybernetic enhancements. It is set in a future that's very much like the future in Blade Runner. This actually tells a story of of humans which have been experimented on to sort of. You know, unlock you know the, the the sort of hidden abilities that we might have, like locked away in the in the you know the vast percentage of our brain that supposedly we don't use. So yeah, from that point of view, it is kind of like a superhero film, and and you know the the, the characters that do get these powers unlocked, you know, powers like telekinesis and things like that. It yeah, I, I've never really thought of it from that point of view, but yeah, it's an incredible film. You know, I I, I love the article that you wrote, and you know, much like you, Hayden, I could talk all day about you know what makes Akira great. And, you know, the remarkable thing is it, it was actually based on a story that was still being written at the time the film was made. And and for a film that was made in 1988, I don't think we're ever going to see a, a cell-drawn animated film that looks as good as Akira again. The amount of work that went into that film. Like, usually when you're making an animated film, you'll have background characters who are just static, but every little background character in Akira is animated. The, you know, the fluidity of the animation, the, the colour palette they use, you know, the music everything it the, the big hollywood sort of remake of akira has been mooted around now for decades and there's one thing about alita that i actually thought coming out of it you know we're actually one more step closer to that proposed hollywood remake of akira truth mm. of it is we don't need it because the original no. the original does it as good as as a, as any you know live action film could do and do you think it's going to be a case now i mean alita received fair to middling reviews yeah, not on track to make massive money. You've got the a step backwards. The Scarlett Johansson Ghost in the Shell film was pretty much the same sort of thing when it you know bombed. Could that affect any sort of Akira? Yeah, but at the same time, I think that I, mean, I remember thinking of what I wanted to write about Akira for a long time. Yeah, I'm glad Hayden did. Mm. Yeah, because I just couldn't get, I couldn't put it into words, especially the ending. How do you explain the ending? How would you put the ending? Into a it, it is very ambiguous, and I think there's a lot of stuff in Akira which actually is explained more in the books. Hayden, what's the name of the guy that wrote it? Uh, oh, Katsushiro Otomo. Uh, 
Yes. Otomo's you know, eventual, oh, I don't even know how many volumes it is, I think it's eight volume manga series, is absolutely phenomenal. And it just goes into an amount of detail that you're never going to be able to put in a two-hour film. And there is a lot of ambiguous stuff in Akira. And I think that has always been a bit of a little bit of a, a bugbear with me. The fact that it took me so many viewings just to get my head around what's going on. But, you know, I'm completely at peace with the film now. It, you know, it could have quite easily, you know, come in my top three. Because it is one of the, one of my favourite films of all time. And I, I purely went with my favourite. And as much as it's nowhere near as good a film... It's completely batshit crazy, and it's the film that got me into anime, so I went with Fist of the North Star. But yeah, Akira, it, it's, it's a masterpiece. But I've seen it, uh, I don't know, about ten times now, and I don't think I've got my head around it yet. No, you, yeah. yeah. So it's another one for my list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Since this list is getting bigger and bigger, isn't it? Yeah, so sure. Akira, is, Akira is on my list anyway, just because my nephew Dale banging on about it to me all the time, I would need to watch it. Neil, you're number two. My number two, uh, in the same sort of thing that what Hayden was just saying then, um, with the sort of superhero element, this is a film that was probably a little bit ahead of its time, and that'd be 2004's The Incredibles. Oh, Brilliant. yes. <laughs> yes. Because the, the sort of aspect we got now, everything is superhero sort of orientated nowadays. I know there were superhero films at the time, but this was the first one that sort of looked at the impracticabilities of being a superhero. Yeah. And also, what happens when you are a superhero and you have a family? Mm-hmm. For me, the, the sort of opening scenes to this, the fact that it's sort of done almost the sort of talking headshots, you know, and you've got this sort of old sort of retro sort of interviews being done, plus the greatest name I've ever heard for a comic book villain, Bon Voyage. Bon Voyage, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Monsieur Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a fun uh, film all the week, but it's, it's a fun film, but it's also got a lot of heart and a lot of passion to it. And you do really get behind their characters. And Mr. Yeah. Incredible for me is like, you know, my sort of role model is being bonded mm. and having a big belly. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you've, yeah, you've, you've kind of spot my top three now because for the longest time, The Incredibles was my favourite Pixar film and my next two choices are both Pixar films. Oh, we could be on the same page yeah. here, Frank, because my number one is as well. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad you picked The Incredibles and all I'll say about it is, it is the, it's the fantastic four film that we never had. Yeah, yeah, and I say I, I know the second one's at equally high praise for whatever reason. Again, I haven't got around to watching it yet. It's, it's not as good. Yeah, it, it's not. It's, it's it's not. If 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 the first film is a ten, yeah, the second film at best is a seven. Oh wow! It's it's not bad, but the first film is one of the greatest superhero films I've ever seen. I'd probably give two an eight. I think it's worth checking out. Yes, yeah, it's, it's what it I, is, no, it is, it is, it, it is, is. It is what I'm going to get around. So you say you got, you got sort of Brad Bird, who was massive with the Simpsons and stuff mm. like that, and he sort of branched out, then did the Iron Giants, oh, and then moved yeah, on, you know, which again could easily be in my top three. Should have been on mine. Yeah, um, yeah. But he's sort of taking his love for sort of almost like James Bond type spy espionage films and put it into a superhero genre. Yeah. And it, it really works so so well. I mean, some of the set pieces are fantastic as well. It's got that sort of cartoonish look yeah but then when he goes to the island to Syndrome's Island yeah it's like it's just like Doctor No isn't it it's it fantastic is. you've got lava yeah. in, you've got planes landing in the water it's fantastic it is amazing and it's like the way that everything works with like when they start using their powers in tandem and you've got Dash oh who, well yeah yeah who is, is like his sister makes that force field ball and he's like sort of running yeah. it's, like mm-hmm. a, it's like a hamster in a wheel and he's just flying across the water doing that uh, in the ending, the last race, where they're like, yeah. faster, slower, <laughs> faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just parents. It's, it's brilliant. brilliant. Samuel Jackson just, where is my superhero suit? <laughs> 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 oh. Don't let me come in there, woman. 
It's absolutely brilliant. It, it should have been on my top three. And like I say, these, these you know, it's not a definitive, definitive list. And next week it could be completely different. <laughs> okay, my number two. I, I pained over this one. I pained over it. I was only going to put one Pixar film in, but in the end, I, I couldn't split them. And again, this could easily be number one. But for the moment, as it stands today, this is number two. And it's from 1999, Toy Story 2. Ooh. One of the Toy Story features, it had to, it had to feature here. And Toy Story 2 is my favourite of the three. Um, I think I've discussed Toy Story 2 briefly here before. And it's one of those rare sequels. It expands upon the original. You know, it adds some brilliant characters without feeling like a retread of the first film. This second film, it is an emotional roller coaster. You know, it's got those themes of what happens to toys after their owners grow up and outgrow them. You know, this is something that could have waited for the third or fourth film, but they, yeah. they chucked this in the second film. And, you know, it gives way to some of the most moving stuff I've ever seen in an animated film. If Jesse's song doesn't move you, then you might well be dead inside. And the musical number at the end with um, Wheezy the Penguin doing his little like sort of Frank Sinatra routine. It was for me it was the perfect way to end the Toy Story films. And from that point onwards I never wanted a third film. Fortunately, Toy Story Three proved to be more than a you know a worthy sequel with yet even more moving stuff. But for me, Toy Story Two is the most satisfying of the three, although I, I'm not going to argue that the first or the third film are better than it. I just love the second one the most. And I gotta say it is a contender for one of the best sequels ever. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. I couldn't say with any sort of uh, hand holding under my head that it's better than the other two films. For me, it's my favourite of the three, the three oh, as well. Booyah. And it is one of those films where, like you were saying, with number two, I was like, I hope they finish there. Then he did number three. And I was like, oh, that's surprisingly good because I'm expecting the worst. And now you've got the fourth one coming up. I'm thinking, why are they doing a fourth one? But yeah, well, as long as it's already, as good as the other already, three. I was going to say they've already proved me wrong once, yeah. so why not? And, and the trailers so far, I have to admit, I've laughed quite a few yeah. times. Just the trailers. Yeah. Hayden, have you got anything you want to chip in about Toy Story Two? Only that again, it came out when I was really young, so I've watched those first two films and endlessly, and I'll probably see them again. I haven't seen them in a really long time, but yeah, they've the the series has earned enough faith that we can we can go into the fourth one um, with a little less skepticism than we might otherwise do. Yeah, Steve, your number two. Uh, my number two. Um, like I said from the beginning, I want to try and do it as uh, as different as possible. So, um, and I've gone for a film which I doubt many people have heard of. But Pretty much guaranteed I won't have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. never heard of. It's um, an Israeli film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's um, 2008, and it's called Boss with the Shia. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Um, it's a remarkable film. It was the first foreign, um, foreign language animated film to be nominated for Best um, Foreign Language Film at the Oscar mm. and the Golden Globes, and he won the Golden Globe. It's a documentary, and it's a true story. And it's animated. An animated documentary, yes. true story. It's about um, a man who was having um, nightmares and flashbacks to a time in the war. Yeah. Um, he's an Israeli man. He was involved in the Lebanon War. He's having all these flashbacks and he doesn't know why. He, he, there's gaps in his memory that he, he doesn't know, quite know what happened. So he starts interviewing people that were there at the time. And the interviews are the basis of the, um, the film, the transcripts of it turned into the you know, sections of the film. He discovers that he was actually, he was in the Israeli army and he was actually t took part in a massacre. Ah, right. Which he had blocked out completely. So literally just yeah, it was over yeah, 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 exactly. And, and it wasn't just him, it was quite a few people like wow. that. That, it's, it's, when you say it like that, it doesn't sound all that exciting and yet it is visually stunning. 
the animation is um it's I think it's rotoscoped, isn't it? Well, as I was just going to say, it's like um, uh, the simple. like the Richard Linklake the film, oh, uh, the Scanner Darkly. Darkly. I, I, I don't think it's well. I, I think it's very similar to that. Although I've been told it, it wasn't that technique. So yeah. ah, right, okay. Um, although they did act it out first, and you know, uh, in the sound right. stage, um, the music is fantastic. It's eighties pop and Israeli eighties pop and classical music. There's moments in it which you know are completely jaw dropping. It's, uh, and yet the ending is it brings tears to your mm, eyes, yeah. and the, the, right to the very ending they actually show real footage, and you can't you know you can't if you go away yeah. without having that little bit you know yeah. caught in your uh, throat then you know you're dead yeah you're already mm. dead you know, it's an amazing film cool and you, I think have me, you have me sold eighties Israel pop, <laughs> Israel pop so. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think Hayden uh, we're down to your number one pick for favorite animated film. Um, as soon as you, as soon as I mentioned that all my picks were um, anime, you probably knew what my number one was going to be. Sky, um, it's Ghost in the Shell, and I could probably swap that with Akira on a on a different day. But I just find that in such a with such a, a brisk runtime, I think it's only about ninety minutes long, um, or even less. It has so much substance, and it's always engaging, always sort of makes me think. So it's not a, it's not a film I can just pop in and watch on any given day. I need to be in the right headspace for it, but it's got so much going for it and so much that I look for in a science fiction film that that, that it had to be on my list. But as I said on another day, it could be second, it could be third. Today, it's number one. I'm going to shock you. Do you know when I was like reeling off the uh, the the anime films that, um, that that I loved like earlier on when we were talking about you know this uh, Alita? Yep. You may have noticed the Ghost in the Shell was uh, not one of the ones I mentioned. And I did notice. Yeah, that is because I've got to be honest with you. The original nineteen ninety five film, I I've tried to love it, and I know that God rest his soul, the late Jim Cottle is a was a huge fan of Ghost in the Shell. It wasn't one of the ones I saw when I was binge watching all of these films, like in in the early nineties. I saw it actually probably the early two thousands. I don't know. There was just something about it. I I thought the film looked amazing, but I just was left cold and. It, it, you know, bearing in mind all of the or most of the characters are sort of cybernetically enhanced, and and the whole story is about you know how human are these sort of half artificial characters. But I just I, I was left a little bit cold, and I I never sort of fell in love with any of the characters like I, I like I should have, and like even even the you know, I thought the delivery of the dialogue they they were all very sort of like monotone and robotic, which I know is is how they're supposed to be coming across. Yeah, you know, I thought a lot of the action was amazing. And it is a great film, but it's just never one that's going to be, you know, if I was going to make a, a list of my top five or top ten favourite anime films, I don't know if Ghost in the Shell would be there, if I'm honest. And I actually, I think I enjoyed some of the um, later TV series, which um, which were released on DVD and Blu-ray, like Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex, which I thought had a little bit more heart to them. But yeah, you know, it is a great film. It is a classic. It's just personally, it's not one I've, I've ever really fallen in love with. Yeah, cold is a really good descriptor for it. I think it's it's meant to be quite cold. And I think that if it was any longer, it wouldn't work. But the, because it's such a, a brisk film, I think that it gets its ideas out there and makes it engaging enough. I don't think it was, it's it's obviously, it's not a particularly emotional film, but I just, I find it endlessly fascinating to go back to. And I think that it's another example of, I know that you quite, at least to an extent, you say, you said that you enjoyed the, um, 
the American adaptation that I, came out yeah, a couple and, years ago. Yeah, controversial, but I actually felt a little bit more sort of compassion for the characters in the live-action version I did in the animated one. I thought that the live-action version did a, you know, if you're going to take one of the most revered and loved anime films and do a live-action adaptation of it, I thought it was faithful. I, I don't personally think it deserves as much flack as it got. It, it wasn't a terrible film. It was okay. Um, you know, I wouldn't I rush agree, to rewatch it, but you know, it it did exactly what it was supposed to do. Really, it was a live action adaptation of Ghost in the Shell, and it, it got a lot of the themes and the ideas across. Didn't give us anything new. You know, I, I know it, it upset a lot of people with the whitewashing, the fact that Scarlett Johansson was cast as, um, or sorry, cast as the main character. But you know, I thought they could have done a lot worse. I agree. I don't hate it. I, to an extent, I actually quite enjoyed it, but I still think that going back to what we were talking about when we were talking about Alita, um, it is still missing something in the transition into American uh, filmmaking. So for that reason, I would never, ever pick it over the original, but I don't view it with such disdain as, as a lot of people seem to. Yeah. Neil, you're number one. Well, as we know, at Film 89, I have a bit of a reputation for being the boisterous one that I have like, yeah. write about all the action films, do all the, the Rocky series. You're, you're a ram, rambunctious young scamp. Rambunctious young man. I was always bringing Dolph Lundgren, <laughs> Dark Angel, into the, the podcast. So obviously I've gone for Wally as my favourite. <laughs> God, you softy. i got to be honest, this film, I absolutely love it. It's not a silent film, but it could easily be a silent film. It's, it's, it's just a beautiful film. The premise of it is so sort of simply, but yeah. Yeah, beautifully done for me it's a love story it's, it's a warning to us as well I think about the way this world's going but uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those films that I genuinely didn't expect to enjoy that much with a Pixar film you're always going to get nine, or 9 times out of 10 you know, you, you're going to enjoy it anyway to a certain degree but it's just a film that really touched me I've got to be honest it's a really beautiful film yeah, I missed it up as I'm talking. <laughs> that um, scene that you say is a love story. That scene yeah. when they just floating through oh, space and uh, yeah. he's got the fire extinguisher. Oh, it's amazing! Define dancing. <laughs> yes. Oh, see a, a, a line which will, you'll only get if you've seen the film. Yeah. Oh, and I think for the first what forty minutes, yeah. it is a silent movie. It is a silent movie, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, you know, all right, we get a few sort of beeps and groans and stuff like that, yeah. but yeah, that's it. Like, yeah, really, yeah. Hayden. I've never seen it. I have been meaning to see it for a really, really oh, long time. And what? I've been told many times that I am a fool for not seeing it, particularly because I love sci-fi. Well, three jewels just dropped to the ground. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it's just a film I naturally assume. Basically, you've just, got, you know, you've just experienced what I've had all night now. But uh, it's just yeah. a film I just naturally assumed that everyone would have seen. Yeah. But it wasn't. And I even yeah. remember when he was out. I, I didn't actually see Wally in the cinema. And look, we'll skip ahead now. My number one. Is Wally? Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's you know I, I actually I remember um, this was two thousand and eight. Now I remember telling my then fiance, my now wife, oh we really need to go and see this little film of all the robot because you know she loved all the Pixar films, and um, she she was just a little bit reluctant from the trailer. She just thought no, it doesn't look very yeah. good. And when she finally saw it, she was blown away. And it is to this day, it is her. I think it's her, it's certainly her favorite Disney Pixar film, and. It, I think, yeah, if you put a gun to my head, it's probably mine as well. And I think there's a strong argument, right, for, for Wally being a film that it transcends the boundaries of what is film and 
a work of art. Yeah. It, it, the first 40 or 45 minutes, it's got no discernible dialogue. And and if cinema is a is a visual storytelling medium, and I think Wally is as good an example of telling a gripping story without words or narration for the most part that I've ever seen. You know, there's an important moral story to the film about humanity's mistreatment of Earth and our over-reliance on technology. Because you've got these, these people in the future, they're living in a digital world. You know, things that we're seeing on the likes of Black Mirror, they, they're becoming fat and out of shape and it's just like you know, every time I see something like you know like the delivery room or something like that I always think oh we're just going to be in, yeah. end up on fat people on a spaceship somewhere yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No. it's going to happen yeah oh god the space dance with Wally and Eva is is sublime and you know the film just looks incredible it's got this sort of hypnotic like mesmerising quality to it it, it, it marks it out as, as one of Pixar's very best films and you know that's that's saying quite a bit, you know, given some of the films they've made. I, I definitely think that, you know, the themes in Wally are going to appeal more to adults than a lot of Pixar films, which I think is why I, I hold in such high regard. There, there you go, that's my number one as well. Yeah, we're both a pair of it, Can you imagine them trying to sell that to some executives? The first 20 minutes, yeah. the relationship is between a robot and a cockroach. Yeah. The next 20 minutes, it's between a, a robot and another robot who doesn't do yeah. anything. But it's Pixar. It's, it's a company that's based on weird ideas. How the hell did they ever sell Inside Out? Well, the thing is, with that, I think it was uh, the same director than Finding Nemo, one of them, and on the Wally, and it was sort of like because they'd sort of shown what they could do underwater. Yeah. He was selling it as not selling it that way. He was sort of using the marketing of imagine what I could do in space. Yeah. You know? And so it was like getting everyone sort of sort of momentum going, and then they were realizing actually there's a quite a sort of in depth, you know, depth of story here yeah. Yeah. to begin with. It was being sold as like a sort of space spectacular you've seen under the wall, and I see what we're doing. Well, in the, stars. the, um, the bad guy, you know, the, the, is um, basically Hal, yeah, yeah, in 2001. Yeah, he is, yeah, yeah, amazing film. I, I just, my god, I, I love it so much. Uh, Steve, we're on to your number one. Well, uh, Wally could have been there, it's, yeah. You know, but like I say I, I try to do something very different for each of my selections, and number one has got to be a Disney film, mm-hmm. and it's Beauty and the Beast. Visually stunning, the characters, every every single character from from a wardrobe to a teacup, <laughs> you know, it's they're all. We, we know we're talking about Alita, but yeah. our, all the incidental characters, you know, they, they're hardly there. You need yeah. to notice them. Yeah. In Beauty and the Beast, every single one is unique and perfectly yeah. realised the animation is stunning and the music you know it is a tale as old as time and yet yeah. they've made it brand new and you know being a uh, uh, you know a film geek I, I really like the homage to the, the Jean Cocteau's um, Beauty and the Beast yeah. La Belle et la Beat um, you know all that they take it quite liberally from um, the Cocteau film and oh, it's, it's, it's gorgeous it is an amazing film, and it taught me the word expectorating, which means spitting. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the Gaston song. The more you know. Yeah. Well, Gaston <laughs> is just an amazing character. Yeah, he is so full of himself. I, w- I wish I'd written some of the dialogue down from his song, you know, because every, you know, everybody loves Gaston. Yeah. Uh, it is, you know. Have you seen the live action? Because I, 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 I haven't seen the live have. action version. And and I've heard mixed reviews of that. Well, it, it, it didn't, I mean, need, it didn't it, need to be made. But it's pointless. It yeah. is pointless, yeah. It is. Yeah, they added another extra, song, you know, one or two songs because that's what they're doing at the moment. Yeah, they're yeah. trying to remake everything. Yeah. Don't, don't don't remake Akira. It's a perfect anime film. Don't remake Beauty and the Beast. It's a perfect Disney film. Yeah. Well, this is what Disney are doing. Obviously, you've got Dumbo. You've got. Uh, like, I know. Yeah, I know. The, 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 uh, they're just regurgitating their own back catalog. It's, it's like the snake eating yeah. itself. It's yes. ridiculous. Yeah. Some well, of some of them work. I, I thought the Jungle Book was okay. Yeah, it was it's a good okay. film. But again, they're okay. And they're Jungle, okay. Jungle Book. I think you've got. Oh, 
the thing is because we we sort of look at films like Beauty and the Beast and you know sort of Lion King and thing oh that was 10 years ago it wasn't it was 1991 if you say 10 years ago to me yeah. I think 1990 I don't yeah, think yeah. 2008 no, yeah. <laughs> so to us yeah but I suppose it is a lot of time has passed but I suppose with Jungle Book you had a sizable chunk of time yeah. didn't well, you remember the time when they used to release um, all these films every couple of years for the new audiences they used to you know Cinderella for example they released every 10 yeah, years they were limited weren't they for a yeah. they were yeah, yeah, time only, yeah. Yeah. and in the cinema they would come back and, yeah. and they would make money Yeah. but now all they do is thinking well we'll just remake it and we'll make more money and I'm thinking you don't need to remake it Booty and the Beast is perfect as it is just yeah. Out, yeah. And re- the remake it was fine yeah you know? But it was just, it was almost shot of shot. Oh, remake. right, okay. So, well, it's pointless. The remakes also feel like they undermine the animated films, even if that's not the intention, but it's almost like saying, okay, here's the animated film, but now it's live action, so it's better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is that thing of them saying it needed to be made into a live action film. You know, mm. we could improve upon it. Yeah, I get exactly what you mean there. But, um, you know, the, the Lion King coming out soon, that's not going to be a live action film. Yeah. They're not going to use real lions. No, they're not. It's going to be an animated yeah. film. Yeah, it's basically just a CGI, CGI yeah. lion rather than a drawn lion. Exactly. That's it, yeah. And when you've got like Emma Watson's uh, version of Belle, if it's not as good as Paige O'Hara's version from 91, then you know what's the point? Exactly. It's just unnecessary. So Hayden, have you got any honourable mentions you'd like to see? Yeah, a couple that have already been mentioned, but um, The Incredibles and um, Toy Story 1, 2 or 3, they're interchangeable for me. Aladdin, as I think I mentioned earlier, that movie was my entire childhood and i'm staying as far away from the remake as possible the iron giant isle of dogs which is the most recent one on probably any of our lists um but i really enjoyed that from wes anderson and um coraline oh mm. coraline is excellent yeah. yes it's scary um yeah a few, <laughs> few, few, few honorable ones um Going on sort of the, the Pixar thing, you'd have to put Nemo and Up, up as well, especially Up. Up could have easily made my top mm. three. Recently, no, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse yeah. was one that really sort of shot me really on. Really good that was really good. Yeah. A lot of the sort of TV stuff doesn't really work when it crosses over. The Simpsons movie didn't work for me. No. But I will say South Park, bigger, longer than Cut. Uh, I enjoyed that. Yeah, definitely as well. Another one, Shrek. Yeah, the original Shrek. Shrek, yeah, it's brilliant. To take to take a fairy tale, turn it completely yeah. honest ass Eddie Murphy something good to do for once. Yeah. Well, when you look at him, I mean, that was the last thing, good thing that Eddie Murphy or Mike Myers did really want to, you know. Yeah. Shrek, absolutely brilliant film, I agree. Uh, fantastic Mr. Fox as well, because I'll mm. mention, enjoy that. Check out Wes Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah Wes yeah. Anderson, yeah. Uh, honorable mentions. I, I, you know, I'm I'm disappointed with my lack of Disney films on it. But my favorite of the traditional animated Disney films is Sleeping Beauty from 1959. Oh, yeah. it, it's just gorgeous. You know, shot in two point three five to one scope, which is rare for an animated film. It just—I I remember as a kid, I, I sort of inherited. Do you remember Viewmasters? Yes. Yeah. Hayden, you'll have to Google Viewmasters. You won't have a clue where they are. Bizarrely, no, if, you, I have if, no idea. If, if you Google a Viewmaster now, you will think, "Why on earth was this a thing?" Yeah, but what what you can't actually capture is the fact that they looked <laughs> unlike anything else, and 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 they were actually. It was like a little viewfinder thing where you'd put this circular disc in which had little film strips in, effectively. Yeah. And you would, uh, each disc would have, I don't know, 16, 20 different you know, Im- images from the film with a little bit of text on the bottom. So you actually, it was like watching some sort of storybook. Yeah, yeah like a storybook. Yeah. Looks, looks very primitive. Yeah. And one of the ones I had was Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> Thank you, Hayden. Yeah. <laughs> and, so I think even before I actually saw the film Sleeping Beauty, I saw the Viewmaster version, which was just little stills from the film. But my God, when you actually see that film moving, it is just absolutely gorgeous. It's one of the most 
beautiful sort of traditional hand-drawn animated films I've ever seen. And speaking of hand-drawn animation, The Iron Giant. Yeah. Oh, God. What, what a film. Easily going to be in my top yeah. three. And then you've got, obviously, Akira, which could and maybe should have been in my in my top three. Appleseed from 2004, which is a, a CG uh, remake of the uh, late 80s original. Absolutely fantastic film. Ninja Scroll, which is just... If, if Fist of the North Star is batshit crazy, then this almost equals it. Street Fighter 2, the animated movie from 1994, which is just an absolutely it's the only time a video game adaptation for me has been any good spirited away and my personal favorite miyazaki film castle in the sky from 1986 a big shout out to uh, our friend bill scurry is one of his favorite films is transformers the movie and growing up that was one can, of mine as well that choice, yeah. amazing film then you've got big hero 6 which i think is one of the best animated films from the last couple of years can't believe i've forgotten that to be honest toy story toy story 3 and then finishing off with the incredibles boys words steve yeah um, i mean most of the ones we've already mentioned you know i mean from akira to, to you know the, the pixar films wally of course you know incredibles uh inside out all those, I mean, I'll just repeat them, but um, I think that there's two films that's popping up which haven't been mentioned yet. One was The Princess and the Frog. I love blues and jazz, and I yeah. love that film, if only for the music. Plus, yeah. it's really scary. That's quite it's, a new one, isn't it? It is. It, 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 I think uh, it was like 2011. Last, it was, yeah, it was the last traditional set-up film. My son went through a phase of really liking that film. Yeah. He must have been about five or six. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, 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 it would have been sort of 2010, yeah. 2011, yeah. Uh, and the other film, um, going along with um, Walsh with, Walsh with Bashir, I would say Persepolis. I don't know if anybody's um, seen that. It's um, a French-Iranian film, black and white. I watched it last week. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, no I did the boss of Bashir, but this one you've got me on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this one is about a young girl growing up in Iran during the time of the Shah and then the revolution. You've written about it? I have don't you, know. No, you haven't. I, I should. Ah, right. okay. And I tell you what, it's 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 like it is in black and white, but there's some fabulous moments in it. There's a great scene where she, the little girl goes round down to the street corner because she's likes heavy metal. And you've got all these men, they're all looking dodgy, and they open up their jackets, and you think, what are they selling? And it's heavy metal music, it's like a CD uh, CDs, and things like that. Oh, so cool. she buys Iron Maiden, you know, and then it's 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 based on, a, again, a true story. Um, the woman who wrote it um, wrote about her own experiences, and she wrote it as a graphic novel first. Right. And nice. then it became um, the film, and it's, it's, it's excellent. And it has got some real cool. charm, it's got some real edge to it. You know, it is teenage, it is war. Yeah, there's you know all that, but uh, yeah, that's honourable mentions. Uh, we did tweet out uh, to our to our listeners for their input, and we had a, an amazing response. I'm not going to read anywhere near the whole amount because it, it it'll just just drag on, in, you know, for another twenty thirty minutes. Uh, first off, one of our uh, Twitter friends from the Film Eighty Nine community, John Armenio, who you can find on Twitter at Quasar Sniffer, he picked Princess Mononoke. The Nightmare Before Christmas and Transformers the movie and an honourable mention now this is a film that comes up a few times The Secret of Kells I've never heard of that no idea what it is again um, another one of the wrong real uh, community and a former guest on Film 89 and hopefully we'll be having him back on soon Bill Scurry you can find on Twitter at William Scurry number three Final Fantasy 7 Advent Children which is is a, is a really good sort of animated follow up to a video game and probably the first time I've ever seen that, mm-hmm. but yeah, it it looks absolutely incredible. Just uh, some of the photorealism in that film is just amazing. Number two, Akira, and number one, no surprise for people who know Bill, Transformers the movie. <laughs> Stephen Simpson on Twitter at Steve O or Steve 007. 
Number three, When the Wind Blows from 1986. Mm-hmm. That actually, actually, we were talking about it. In fact, going back to Bill Scowie, it came up on our V episode. It did. It absolutely terrified me as a yeah. child. Number two, The Nightmare Before Christmas. And number one, the original Toy Story from 1995. Also on Twitter then, Nikki Wilson, at Nikki G. Wilson. Number three, Pokemon, the first movie. Number two, Aladdin. And number one, Toy Story. Another one from Twitter, Jacob Calter, who's at Stage Screen 60. Number three, American Pop. No, Any ideas? No. Hey, number man. two, Night on the Galactic Railroad. No, but it sounds... Like sorry, it's, sorry, it's, Jacob. It sounds like a 1980s hair metal band. We're just getting black looks all around here. And number one, The Plague Dogs. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, I've seen that. Yeah. Okay, go on. <laughs> Christian Steele on Twitter, at 666PoisonBlood. Great name. <laughs> number three, Renaissance Paris 2054. Hayden, any ideas? If he, that sounds like it might be Japanese. No, I don't know. No. Number two, Ratatouille. Number one, The Lion King. Andrew Garvey on Twitter, at A.M. Garvey. He says his top three changes constantly, but at the moment, number three is Monsters, Inc. Number two is Pompoco. And number one, oh, Grave of the Fireflies. No, my God. It's it's a film that everyone should see, but they'll only ever want to see it once. It is one of the most harrowing. If you think When the Wind Blows is harrowing, you've not seen anything. Okay. Oh, my God. It's, it's about a little brother and sister sort of growing up in the aftermath of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki oh, bombings. Yeah. It is it is just devastating. Uh, our good friend, um, he was the guest on the last episode, actually, Jacob Rivera. He's on Twitter, at JRATM23. He's picked Alice in Wonderland, The Jungle Book, and Finding Nemo. He says he wasn't sure if he were counting straight animation or if stop motion was included, in which case he would have picked A Nightmare Before Christmas and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, And I'm going to start, again, start choking up now, but the late Jim Carpel. Did this come through to you via, no, it's, it's via Delica Cola? It's, it's before he passed. Oh, right. <laughs> He's picked the animated Lord of the Rings, the Ralph Bakshi version, The Jungle Book, and Ghost in the Shell. That's so Jim. Yeah, I know. He says, the Lord of, and this is in the inimitable Jim style, Lord of the Rings was the bollocks when I was a teen, Jungle Books was the first film I ever saw, and Ghost in the Shell was groundbreaking and influential. Oh, you stay golden pony boy. I know, I know. Well, our, our previous competition winner, who is soon going to be um, taking his prize and coming on yeah, to the podcast, the game, yeah. Chris Bynan, he has picked Grave of the Fireflies, The Iron Giant, and Akira. And last but not least, uh, Good old Richie Roberts, uh, one of the Film 89 crew, he's picked Disney's The Jungle Book. His favourite Disney films tend to be about anthropomorphic animals, and they've never been better than this. The Lion King comes a close second. Great songs as well. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Surprise, which he says... Surprised we didn't get more mentions of that, mm, actually, yeah. Revolutionary, clever and witty. Plays to adults and kids alike. The first time you see big animation powerhouses of the time crossover. Directed by Robert Zemeckis. An executive produced by Steven Spielberg. Perfect. And then Finding Nemo. Beautiful to look at. Has an underwater world. Ever been more perfectly recreated. Funny and heartwarming. And his honourable mentions are all the Toy Story films and most of the other Pixar films barring cars and planes. As I say, we're cars. This should be a public service announcement. That If you've got a child, a male child, I was going to say, not being gender specific, but... If you've got a child of a certain age, don't let him watch Cars because it'll just cost you an absolute fortune. <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> I've, had it, I've had it twice. Obviously, my son went through it. Now my partner's little one's going through it. It's terrible. <laughs> Richie hasn't stopped there. He's also picked Disney's Pinocchio and Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, The Lion King, uh, Transformers the movie, Wallace and Gromit, The Wrong Trousers, 
he says he's a big fan of Ardman and this yeah. is arguably the best of the Wallet and Gromit Wallet Wallace and Gromit stories. So there you go. Um, like I say, apologies to anyone who sent in their favourite three. Um, unfortunately, we're a little bit pushed for time tonight, so I couldn't read out any more. But that's it, guys. Hopefully, that'll be a, a full stop on animated films from us for a while. I think we've uh, covered quite a good uh, range here. We've had uh, a few listener questions from Facebook, Twitter, and good old email. The first of those is Gurdeep Singh via Facebook asks, says, I'm really enjoying listening to your podcast. Do you guys listen to other podcasts? And if so, which ones are your favourites? Uh, Hayden, I'll start with you. Uh, picked, a, picked three here. I um, Wrong Real was the first film podcast that I ever ever um heard and still listen to to this day so we we've all um, mentioned how significant an impact um james at wrong real has had on our site's own podcast and and so i think we're probably all going to mention that one um oh yeah, yeah I, think, I think it's a, i think it's a given yeah definitely a given we're yeah. all yeah we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for wrong real um flixwise canada which i um only sort of started listening to when i it was mentioned to me that there was an Akira podcast on there. Had to listen to that and sort of took the deep dive into a few more of those episodes. But the podcast I probably go back to most consistently is um, the Cinephiles. Uh, film podcast, definitely the Cinephiles. Wrong Real goes well saying. Flexwise, Saturday Night Movie Sleeper was I absolutely adore. Yeah, I actually we were talking about this off air earlier. When we, yeah, they just it, they're just like it's like sitting talking to your friends. It is. You know, it is. Yeah, Jay Blake Fischera and Dion Bayer. Um, recently, uh, what else have I had? Film-wise, I've done a few of the Jonathan Ross I like film mm. new podcasts. Um, yeah. I found his style of podcast is more like a sort of interview when he has someone interested on. It's quite quite sort of you know not a bad listen. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, big Joe Rogan fan got a Joe mm. Rogan experience. I got to be doing that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but again, it depends again on who he's got on. You know, if he's got. Yeah, you know, he's got someone interested on it. Could be a really interesting well, podcast. It, it was you that got me to Joe Rogan, didn't you? You recommended me one, and I, I really think, yeah. rubbed me up the wrong way. Yeah, it was not a, not it was Chuck, um, it was the Chuck Palahniuk one. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? I, I loved I love his stuff, but I, I'm not going to go into what I didn't like about it now. But it was just I I haven't been able to get into him since. I just well, I know him in the absolute minority there because he he he's get millions massive, of downloads massive. every week. For Joe Rogan, I you know I, I enjoy the sort of MMA podcast he does because. You know, for leather boxing and MMA, if he's got a lot of his sort of comedian buddies on, then I find them really interesting. But then I do find sometimes, you know, he, you know, it can be a bit too pally pally. Yeah. But he does get some really interesting people. Like Sam, we had Sam Harris on this week, and that was a really interesting. Mm. Um, just talking about the situation now that we're bringing up things about social media and about how people are getting hunted down and shut down and yeah so. he's Joe Rogan is a very astute and knowledgeable guy he's but again know, I say it very much depends on who he's got the bounce yeah, off I agree I agree I think he sums up best because he says he says I'm not an intelligent guy I just remember things and basically I just talk to lots of intelligent people yeah obviously mine you know I, I don't have to mention wrong really I always get a, a name drop and you know we, we got a massive debt to them and you know, we're all very glad to be part of like the, the wrong real sort of wider community but you know the cinephiles is just a it's a master it, it is there's a reason why the cinephiles is the number one film podcast in the world yeah i don't always agree with their viewpoints but they always put away in a put across in a way that you can just you know respect their opinions of where they're coming from the only sort of knock i would give against them is now lately they seem to be bringing on of nowadays this wouldn't be acceptable or yes can you there, there's it? a little bit yeah I, I agree i don't like that when you do it in no. retrospect if you do not have a modern film yeah, they, yeah. if you understand that but when it's the, the sort of 
oh, nowadays you would get away with this. It's like, well, that film wasn't made nowadays. Yes. You know, they, they, we've moved on from that, so you can sort of accept that sometimes if something's said or something's portrayed in a film in a certain way, I'm not saying it's right, but you also, also have to imagine yeah. it was made of his time. Yeah, I fully agree with you, Neil. I think sometimes that um, John and Steve, they do sort of... You know, let's be honest, a lot of films from like the 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s wouldn't play well now because they were from a different time. Um, but you've just got to accept them for what they are. But again, they're far more well, you know, far more versed and more oh, intelligent. Yeah, yeah. Film than I'll ever be. Hellbent for Horror with Scott Bradley, yeah. uh, <laughs> f- fantastic podcast. Flixwise Canada with our good friend Martin Kessler. He did, yeah, he did an absolutely amazing episode on Akira. Bill Scurry and uh, his friend oh, Noah Tano. I didn't the, I, the I Don't Get It podcast. Yeah. It is the most important non-film related podcast I think you, you, you'll hear. And I, on a weekly basis, get educated on stuff that I don't need to know about, but I'm damn glad those guys are there to warn me off from things like... Well, that's the mass singer they were doing last week. And I'm getting, I, I'm getting annoyed about saying I've never I've seen... I've never seen this programme. describing it, but yeah. it's annoying me. It is annoying me that these things <laughs> exist and they are casting their well-found judgement upon things which we need to rid the world of. Yeah. God bless them. And some of the things that especially Bill says just leaves you speechless. <laughs> yeah. Please, guys and girls, just go back and listen to our V episode with Bill Scurry. Uh, the man is an absolute legend. And, yeah, Neil... Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers with Dion Bayer and Jay Blake Fischera is just outstanding. I have, I think I've pretty much listened to every episode in the space of about six months, being quite late to the show. It's just amazing, and I can't wait to, to have like both of them individual or otherwise on Film 89. Well, um, I mean, we've all mentioned most of the ones I listen to, like uh, Wrong Reel, of course, uh, Flickwise, Cinephiles. One that um, has me mentioned, I'm not sure if any of you guys listen to it, is You Must Remember This which is a history of classic Hollywood, mm-hmm. right, yeah. um, which is Karina Longworth presents that. What was that called? Uh, you must remember this. And it, 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 is, it is a history of, of classic Hollywood um, from, um, you know, the birth of cinema to the 19, I say 1960s, you know, I mean, yeah. and it, uh, um, all the, uh, the classics stars and the, the biographies, the films, you know, so that's great. And I also mentioned... Um, the, the films of our lives, with which is a Joe Dante. Um, mm. Oh, sorry, the films that made us, right. which is um, Joe Dante and you know his gang, the Trailers from Hell gang, wow. which is really really interesting. Each week they, they interview that. somebody, um, an actress or an actor or you know a director, or whatever, and they just you know what's the films that uh, you you love, and it's as simple as that. Do you know, guys? I. Something I, another podcast I have started subscribing to just from a purely research point of view is the Chartable podcast. And, you know, in the last quarter of 2018, somewhere in the vicinity of 100,000 new podcasts were released. It's quite, it's quite strange, isn't it? So when you, and again, we're, we're not to go into specific figures, but guys and girls, we are so grateful for the following the Film 89 has got because to be positioning where we are in the charts is just a feat that we never thought we would manage, given the fact that they are now probably, God knows how many hundreds of thousands of podcasts, just in the category of film and TV alone. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because I was thinking about this the other day. We're sort of, we're moving so much forward with technology now. And like you say, every every day now, you know, there's some new, new sort of TV comes out or new way of viewing experience comes out. And people are moving back to Audible. Yeah. You know? yeah, we're going, we're, yeah, we're going back to audio only. But I if know. you look at that, it's like with a phone. How often do you phone someone? Now you text, don't you? Exactly. So I know. If you look at a landline, we're going back to the telegraph. We are. We're back texting. Yeah. It's, it's, it sort is. Of the old ways are the best people. It is. <laughs> I think podcasts are here to stay. Hector Silver, 
via Twitter, he's at Hectorius, asks, what are your predictions for Best Picture at this year's Academy Awards? Steve, I'll start with you. Well, uh, Best Picture, I'd like to see the Roma or Black Klansman win. I have a, 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 a feeling, for some reason, based on some of the chat that's going on, is it's going to be Green Book. Yeah, I don't know why. It's getting a lot of buzz. Yeah, it seems they, to be getting a lot of buzz. Yeah. They've edged their bets as well, haven't they, a bit, because they've got um, Vigo's... Uh, best leading actor and who's the other guy in Green Book Mahershala <laughs> <laughs> Ali is always best supported actor so he eventually yeah. bets again get it up there but, but uh, if the favourite wins as well yeah, little end joke guys and girls uh, Neil can't uh, he struggles with Mahershala the, the guy from True Detectives yeah right, uh, <laughs> Mr Ali I call him a very yeah. formal yeah I, I, I think I'd like to see Roma uh, or Black Klansman. I haven't seen A Star Is Born yet. As much as I really did enjoy Bohemian Rhapsody, just from a pure entertainment point of view, I think uh, the liberties it takes with the actual truth and you know the fact that it it kind of paints Freddie Mercury as you know the sort of one that brought about the dawn, downfall of Queen. It's, it's like it's not fair. It's the not, guy the guy isn't here to defend himself. It's an Oscar worthy performance as in yeah. mimicking Mercury. Yeah. It's not an Oscar worthy film in my I, I agree. Opinion. And there's been a bit of backlash as well because of Brian Singer. Yeah, uh, hasn't the BAFTA withdrawn the nomination? Ooh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. But no, I'd probably go um, completely echo Steve. I'd love to see Black Landsman win without t- sounding too preachy. It was a film I watched, and I was like, God, it's, it's amazing how far we've come. And then the end. Yeah, we that, haven't come that far at all. Literally, is lumping you. Well, have we gone backwards? You know. Yeah, it's just. And I'd love to see Roma win, just because it's a foreign language film winning Best Picture. Yeah. And doesn't yeah. happen. And it should. In years gone by, I would have said that A Star Is Born would have been a shoe-in. Yeah. But I think now the way the Academy tends to look at films, Mm. I would say probably the favourite. Yeah. The favourite is the favourite. Yeah. Hayden, what do you think? I'd love to see Roma win or um, A Star Is Born, which, as I said, I saw recently Mm. and I thought that was excellent. I haven't seen Green Book, so I can't actually comment on that one. Forgive my ignorance, but is... Has there been films nominated for both Best Picture and Best Foreign Picture before? I don't think there has. I think they've yeah. just been separate categories. And yeah. I think this yeah. is the first time where you know a foreign language film has been nominated for and been in the standard to win Best Picture. And it's about time. And I think that yeah. might go against Roma because people might think, oh, we'll give it to... We'll mm. give it to... Yeah. 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 Complimentary prize. Yeah. And last but not least, you've got Clarissa Webb, who via email asks... What Best Picture Oscar winner do you think was the least deserving? Steve, I'll start with you. Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of mine from 99. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. What, how the hell did that yeah. win? I know a lot of people come out and say, you know, like things like Driving Miss Daisy, which I kind of enjoy. It's not great. Yeah. But, but Is that the film that won and, and Do the Right Thing didn't? That's it. it well, do, do the Right Thing didn't get nominated. No, it didn't get nominated, no, which is just, again, yeah. ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Easily one of the best films of 1989. Oh, uh, yeah, outstanding. Yeah, um, Shakespeare in Love. I, mm. I've seen it, and it's no it's idea. Not, it's not Oscar worthy, is it? I've got no, no idea how it got nominated. No, don't get it. Hayden, uh, Steve, you're gonna hate me, but Shape of Water. <laughs> <gasps> oh wow! It's a good job you're separated by time and space and whatever, Hayden, because he would go for your throat now. <laughs> you you really didn't like Shape of Water, did you, Hayden? You just didn't like it. I really didn't. Maybe I should try it again. Sort in theatre and just came out of it feeling pretty empty. Yeah, and I think the difference is you and Steve obviously saw it at the same time. You wrote quite a critical piece for it. Steve really disagreed with you. I think I saw it probably a year after it was released and I didn't have any hype or sort of expectation to deal with. And I got to say it, I I did really enjoy it. I found a lot of the surrounding characters more interesting than the actual woman and fish love story, but 
even that I thought that it was maybe what um yeah that might be what I struggled with then yeah I I, I did enjoy it I don't think it was the best one for Matt year but you know it's one of the best Oscar winners in recent years hmm. is Hayden <laughs> anymore I might cop some flack for it as well but Forrest Gump not because I dislike the film I adore it but because Shawshank and Pulp Fiction are both better films that, that is the the right way to put that actually <laughs> Neil, I think uh, you're going to echo that. I was going to echo that. Uh, most undeserving victory is definitely La La Land. Oh no, it was rude like one. Hey, fantastic! Because <laughs> uh, we all know the La La Land should have won. I, I'm pretty sure that uh, Romeo and Juliet as well for Baz Luhrmann won. Did that win best? No, it didn't win best, best, best picture? picture. Not in this world. No, I, was, I thought it did. That, oh, was, awful oh, well, that no. was awful. anyway. One of the worst but ones no, I've ever seen. If it was out the same year as um, Shakespeare and Love, he might have won. Shakespeare yeah. and Love yeah. um, and Shape of the Water as well. Just to balance it out for both of yeah. you. <laughs> I, I'm going to go reverse chronological. 2009 Slumdog Millionaire yeah it's it's one of those films that I went to see it I quite enjoyed it but it's not a best picture Oscar winner 2003 then you've got Chicago I've actually I've been to see the musical and and really enjoyed it but the film beating out the two towers the best picture get the fuck out of here no Jesus Christ no it's more you're saying with Bohemian Rhapsody I'm not going to defend Chicago or anything but Certain films can be, yeah, they're good. They're, they're great films. You know, you might, I enjoyed it. Yeah. it was, I, that was two hours of my life. I didn't mind giving over to the cinema. Chicago was the best not, picture of that year. not the best picture yeah. of the year, are they? 99, yeah, Shakespeare and Love, say no more. Um, this one might be an unpopular choice. 1997, The English Patient. I, I've tried three times to watch that film. And told. Th- this was when I was much younger. But for me to not be able to watch a film, I think I must have turned it off after about 20 minutes. I hope one day I'm able to sit down and watch it. I might be pleasantly surprised, but it's, I just find it banal and it's mind-numbing. One, it's one of those films I sort of soldiered on with. Mm. And then after about, sort of, I think I got about the hour mark, I was like, no, it's literally, yeah. it's just dying, I can't get into this. And my last one is from 1981. It's not a bad film. Ordinary People. But it is not Raging Bull. It is just, That's what we're going back to the Forrest Gump. <coughs> isn't it? It's a lot of the time. It's not that the films are bad. It's just that, come on. Let's, let's, Raging let's, Bull. Let's, let's look at the other choices yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> Never has a film been you know, so worthy of, of best picture. You know, Martin Scorsese got his sort of token Oscar later on in his career. He should have got it for Raging Bull. He should have got it for best picture for Taxi Driver. Goodfellas. Goodfellas. It just and for Raging Bull to be beaten by a film as ordinary as ordinary people. Nah, it's just a bit of a crime, really. You lot, you will always get that. I mean, Kramer yeah. versus Kramer. What did that beat? You know, that, I can't. You know, there's always better films yeah. in the year. Yeah. And there's always films which. Gandhi is a great film. It's not E. T. Gandhi is one of those films that it ticks every box for an, a best picture Oscar winner. It's an incredible film. But when you're looking back in 1982, which was, a, I will still say, the best year in film, uh, certainly in our lifetime, E.T. is the film everyone remembers. Yeah. Or even films which failed that year, like John Carpenter's The Thing. So there you go, guys. Is uh, some of the listener questions we were sent. Thank you very much to uh, those who sent questions in the weren't read out. Um, there is every chance that sometimes we hold them over and they might be more relevant for the topic next time. But obviously, with the Oscars coming up, uh, they were sort of kind of Academy Award-centric this time. So uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, please, you know, if, if anime is your thing, go and check out Elite Battle Angel. If it's not, you might be better off steering clear. Is that fair enough? Well... Anime's not my thing, and I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah we've we've to come on, we've to come on Netflix. Here we are. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
Hayden, where can people find you if they want to hit you up on social media for a chat? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Hayden Spurrell, H-A-Y-D-N, um, S-P-U-R-R-E-L-L. Otherwise, um, find all my writing on film89.co.uk. And I'm on Facebook, but I'm pretty inactive on it. So better off finding me on Twitter if you need. Yep, same with me. You can get me on uh, the Film 89 website or at Neil Gaskin on Twitter. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Welsh Bluesman. And of course, film89.co.uk. Same with me, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Sky Movies. Um, I'm, again, quite inactive um, on Facebook. I do have a look on a daily basis, but you know, I, you're know, you more likely to get a hold of me on Twitter. And please follow us all on Twitter and Facebook at Film89UK. And before we uh, wrap this one up, just like to say uh, a big birthday wish to a big friend of the podcast and hopefully future guest, Miss Becky Diana. I won't reveal her age, but it's her birthday today. Happy birthday. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, Becky. Becky. So uh, I hope you've enjoyed this, guys and girls. And again, thank you for your continued support. It has been, well, probably, it's been a ridiculous amount of time between episodes 22 and 23. But you guys have still been downloading us and listening to us, which we're just incredibly uh, grateful of. And hopefully this episode will be up to the usual standard. And we look forward to seeing you all soon. As usual, uh, stay safe, stay happy, and most importantly, stay classy.